are listening to the Heavy Metal Hangover, where the beer is always cold and the music is always heavy. With your hosts wearing jeans and leather, not Cracker Jack clothes, Rex and Duff. Welcome to another episode of the Heavy Metal Hangover. My name is Duff. My name is Rex. And today's episode will be brought to you by Smokin'. Yes, we're I'm still so, laughing about it. Uh, that that is how that is how absolutely pathetic we are. Um, <laughs> I swear to God, all week long, all I've been able to think about is that something might contain smoking. But in complete and honest truth, the next day, I was watching a movie. Um, I put on the movie Nobody, um, which if you haven't seen it, 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 it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's the best movie I've seen in a few years. Um, it's it's a story. It, it stars Bob Odenkirk. It's a story about a dad and a kitty cat bracelet, and it's amazing. I swear to God, if you have not seen it, it's amazing. Bob Odenkirk, I, I mean, he's been around. He was Chris Farley's best friend, wrote a lot of stuff for him, you know, lo- lots of stuff. Most recently, I guess he's probably most known for Better Call, Better Call Saul. I, I, I would think if I were to say something recent that people would know him by, it's that. But anyway. No, when I um, when I watched that, it was funny. I was, I was watching because I had never heard of it before. I watched it randomly one night on YouTube or not YouTube, on Netflix or something. And I was like, holy crap, this movie's awesome. And I knew you were a big John Wick fan. And I was like, dude, you got to watch this movie, especially like when Christopher Lloyd shows up and stuff. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I will. I will give no spoilers to anybody who hasn't seen it, but it is absolutely it's a, it, it's an absolutely incredible movie. Like it, I and and I am not. Excuse, I shouldn't say I'm not an action movie fan because I am, but I am a very picky one. Um, like you know what I mean. I'm just I'm just picky about about action movies. I I, I don't I don't love it as a genre. Um, but I mean, look, Jason Statham movies are pretty cool across the board. Like they're not all good. <laughs> Um, I'll never forget. I think it was Patton Oswalt posted that uh, that the whole diatribe about Jason Statham movies. He's like, he he called it Gatham for Statham, <laughs> and he was like, when you go see a Jason Statham movie, you're guaranteed to sit there and watch Jason Statham f an explosion while a Slayer song plays. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's totally excuse me. I'm true. gonna I'm gonna open up a fresh bottle of Jack Daniels if you hear some noises. Um. And, and as a side note, like I, I'm sorry that they, I don't know if this is a popular opinion or not, but I love I love the Jack Reacher movies. I love both of them, and I am aware that Tom Cruise is absolutely nothing like Jack Reacher, who's supposed to be six foot five, two hundred and thirty five pounds of like solid muscle. Yeah. I'm aware that that's not who he is, but dude. The Tom Cruise Jack Reacher tells you to count to his birthday, and it's the greatest thing in the entire world. But none of those have anything to do with anything. Um, I did, by the way, start reading the Jack Reacher books. I'm on the first one. But uh, two-thirds of the way through, it's pretty good. But none of those have anything to do with anything. The point I'm getting at is the next day, I turned on the movie Nobody because, again, I love it. I I, I own it on, on, on Blu-ray, and um, it is a movie that I will gladly watch um, kind of all the time. And and when I turned the movie on, it said rated R for nudity, <laughs> violent. 
<laughs> nudity, violence, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, smoking, smoking, <laughs> foul language. I love how it's foul language and sexual content. Dude, now, you, you know what? You know what? You know what'd be awesome if every time they warned you about that, it was like this movie contains foul language and and they just they just cut to Boston smoking, smoking. <laughs> Dude, that would be that would be so good. That'd be so good. Like, look. I, I guess I can understand drug abuse, but when they when they literally point out that something contains alcohol and uh, um, alcohol and smoking, it just kills me. Well, okay, again, this is not about the plot, so I'm not spoiling anything. But there is the one guy uh, you'll know him. He's like the club owner. He, he's the Russian guy who owns a club, and he walks in the room and he 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 does a line of toot and gets up gets up on stage and starts dancing. Like that's awesome. Okay, that's an awesome scene. But like, it's not like the movie has has like junkies sitting around putting, you know, needles in their arms and anything. It's it's a, you know like a guy does a line of toot at one point in time or something. And I don't know, man. Uh, but it's just funny because you know we had all that convers we we had that conversation about warning smoking and just the next movie I watched had that warning on it. Uh, it just it I don't know, man. It just makes me laugh. Uh, I mean, I, I do they put that warning on every movie made before like 2010? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, is every movie in the fifties? Is every movie smoking. in the fifties have a warning now? I don't know. Um, Mad Men is about smoking. Is about <laughs> smoking. <laughs> so yeah. So there's there's first of all like I do want to point out that we weren't completely nuts when we made that when we made that point. That that is that the next movie I watched had it on there, but the other point of the conversation. <laughs> I want the Boston's first album. Warning contains smoking. Man, if I if if I ever, man, if I met any member of that band, I would tell them they should put a warning in front of their album. This warning contains smoking. You know what's interesting? It, you know, am I? Is it? If I am not mistaken, okay, hold on. I'll let you. I'll let you jump in. There. I will make a music reference, though. I, I was just gonna say, what's interesting, and you want to tie this into movies and stuff, is the drummer for Boston's daughter is married to The Rock. Who is the drummer for Boston right now? Not not right now. I mean, like the the guy who was on oh. the back of Boston's first album. Oh, the oh, guy with the oh. the guy with the afro that's comically large. That's like it's like there's like a picture of the whole band on the back of the album. And and his hair is as big as the rest of the band. <laughs> wow, I'm trying to remember his name. Wow, I'm gonna look it up because I can't remember. Can't remember his name. Either. I, I can. I can uh, it's like it, I. Oh man, let me see. Sib Hashian. Yeah, that's it. Hashian. Yeah. Well, because he okay. Like like I I hate to be that guy, but when I when I think of the band Boston, I think of Tom Schultz and Brad Delp. Like that's that that's this is who I think of because uh, admittedly. I, I like to be one of those people that knows band members' names, but they're also a band that's had a large number of members over the years. I, I take that back, by the way. Sib Hashian's hair was not quite as big as uh, Neil Sean's. Oh, yeah. Well, nothing, nothing, nothing. I mean, is. dude, look at this, though. I mean, like, seriously, look, he, like, him, like, that's oh, him oh, in yeah. the middle. Like, him and Neil Sean should have a fro off. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they totally, dude. You know what? I, you know what? I, and what I love for me with the picture you showed me that I might be a drummer. I might be a drummer, but in the seventies, I was every band's bass player. 
No, I could still see you as a Dude, drummer. Look at the pic- Look at that picture, though. The guy with the bass in his hand with the mustache. And- <laughs> dude, I'm go- like if I'm looking at that picture, I'm like, oh yeah, dude, I'm totally that bass player. Um, though, though it would be way cool. Now you're not wrong, though. If I, if I would be wearing. If you see the picture that you showed me, I would be wearing that uh, uh, dead animal vest. <laughs> What the hell is that? You'd have That's no awesome. shirt on, be wearing a pair of tight jeans, and have like a ve- leather vest on. So like, yeah. Well, that in this, would in be this case, it's like a, it's like a, I don't know, an animal skin. I don't know. It's pretty awesome. I need Who's that. the guy from the Doobies that you look like? The the one with uh, the sunglasses. He, that yeah. You um. Um. I can't think of his name. Um. Uh. That's another band with a billion band members. Um. Jeff Baxter, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Is that his name? Um, anyway. Yeah, it's totally anyway. Jeff. But you do, and he, oh my God. No way. Oh, he's a guitar player. Okay. I thought he was a bass player at first. No, he's a guitar player. Dude, Jeff Baxter is 100% you. There, I'll send you a picture right now. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at one too. T- tell me that's not you right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I was going with a different picture, but yeah, you're not wrong. Um,. He he still he still looks like that except for he's bald yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's he's still pretty awesome. Um, what I was gonna say is about Boston though I, I will bring this another another level into music. I remember when I because I used to live in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was my favorite place I've ever lived, and you know someday hope to go back. But were you were, um, were, were you smoking? <laughs> I would yeah yeah. Well, it, it's the South. You know they they do that down there, but. Um, I'm trying to see if the guy is still in the band. Let me look it up. Yes, he is. Okay. So I moved I moved to Charlotte in 2006. And what I remember happening is it was shortly thereafter, because I'm, I'm looking it up, and it said it was um, uh, 2007 that he joined. But what i remember living in charlotte and um i don't remember uh if he was from charlotte no he's not he wasn't born in charlotte but he must have lived there because if i am not mistaken and if i'm full of crap someone can call me and tell me if i'm full of crap but ah, you're full of he, crap he was a you know okay i looked it up he was in charlotte okay i'm not crazy i was living in charlotte at the time i had just moved there like like a year before this and it made news that Tommy DeCarlo became the singer of Boston. And what was cool was the dude was like an assist. He was an assistant manager at a Home Depot in Charlotte. And his daughter sent a video in from him on MySpace or something. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was a cool story. Here's the guy. Here's a guy who's literally working at the at a Home Depot in Charlotte, and he gets um uh. And you know, it, because of MySpace, he gets he gets to join Boston. He's still in the band. He's um, yeah, he's awesome. Because uh, you know, clearly, um, Brad Delp died um, tragically. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. But um, Brad, uh, when when Brad passed away, like man, what a voice that guy had. I mean, really. I mean, come on, dude. When you listen. Um, we are we are making this about about music. Um, speaking of smoking, um, dude, seriously, Brad Delp's vocals. I mean, seriously, all you gotta do is listen to that first Boston album. In the world of great hard rock vocalists of that era, right? 
Okay, look, I'm aware that people now probably call Pantera classic rock because it's older. Um, Sad. But for me, when I use the term classic rock, I don't use it to mean that it's 25 years old. I use that term to describe... I use that term in the same way that someone might say grunge, you know? Um, meaning a snapshot, a, a style within a snapshot in time, right? And what I would consider, generally speaking, classic rock is, you know, late, late 60s, generally speaking, until late eight, late 70s. We're talking about that decade, right? Let's say 1970 to 1980, plus or minus a year or two, depending on the band, right? Um, yes, I know you can, whatever. Um, like, I don't consider the Beatles classic rock. I consider the Beatles the Beatles. <laughs> I mean, I just do. Um, and yeah, I get it, right? The Who put out records in the 60s. Okay, you know, Santana, well, fine. Generally speaking, I'm talking 1970 to 1980, plus or minus a year. Clearly, there are exceptions. But you know what? Let, let's, here's, a, here's a conversation for you. Let's just throw this out. Um, uh, uh, Rex, I'm going to completely put you on the spot here. Let's go classic rock for a few minutes. And if, if this conversation dies a sudden death, whoops. Much like classic rock. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I will not. Oh, man. I, God, I, I'm, I feel like a complete dick from talking about Brad Delp to going die to sudden death um, because, you know, he committed suicide. So let's not. Yeah. Um, I don't want to make it sound like I'm making light of that situation because I'm clearly not. But because, you know, hey, look, we've, we've spent enough time in the show talking about, especially in the, in the first season, if you've been around with it since then, we, we've talked a lot about mental health. And I'm a, you know, I'm a big advocate for taking care of mental health and getting help and all that sort of thing because I'm a product of someone who has had a lot of help from therapists. And OK, so anyway, off subject. So let's let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Classic rock for a minute. And I'm going to put you on the spot for a little bit uh -oh. and make you just answer things off the cuff. All right. Um, I, I will chime in, too, and I promise you I haven't thought about this, but this is just in. So let's talk classic rock, right? Again, think of rock, hard rock. If you want to say metal, I guess. But we're talking, let's generally say the 1970s plus or minus a year or two. I look at this as like what... The, the music they still play on classic rock stations, like well, an the FM thing radio is, station. Classic is, rock stations now play Nirvana. Yeah, true. But they um, now play Weezer, Nirvana, Metallica. Like it's pretty. Yeah. Sad. So so let's let's use the let's use the term that I'm referring to. Um, and if you want to change the term, that's fine. If you want to say hard rock from the '70s and '80s plus or minus a year, let's go with it. Cool. I just mentioned Brad Delp from Boston being. An absolute powerhouse of a vocalist, uh, which he was. I mean, and clearly, that 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 first Boston record, it, it sounds. I mean, dude, it's, the whole band sounds incredible. Clearly, but his vocals were amazing. If I were to ask you to name either, like some of your favorites or some of the guys you consider, or girls. I mean, with some very clear examples of some females too. If if you were making a a, a list of best and or favorite. You know, vocalists from the hard rock 70s, like I said, whatever era. 
Are there any that come to mind for you? Vocalist is tough because vocalists I no, never I know. really I, paid attention to. But I know you that. Know, That's you know, why I, it's funny you say female because you know I got a you know who you know who I'd put first in there and it'd also be for guitars. The Wilsons? Yeah. Anne and Nancy yeah. Wilson from Heart. Like, look, they Heart's were, not everybody's cup of tea, but li- I mean, listen to the intro to Crazy for You, that that acoustic like whole thing. Oh yeah. And tell me Nancy Wilson can't like just completely wail. Dude. And by the way, I don't mean I, hear she I don't can wail. I don't mean the heart like how do I get you? We're not talking pop 80s. Yeah, we're not talking, when they went pop 80s, but I'm talking like Barracuda, Crazy on You. Uh, um, he's a, he's a, try to understand. Try to understand. Try. He's a magic man. You know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, when they went like, you know, well, how when do they were, I get you alone? No, but when, and, and all that you're, stuff you're talking, that's different. You're talking the era when they were the female Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And I don't, and I mean that because that's the easiest way to kind of describe it. They were the female Led Zeppelin. Dude, that riff, that. Dude, that could be a thrash riff. You put that up like maybe 30 BPM and put some heavy distortion on that. No. Um,. I uh no, oh, dude. I, I uh, totally. Agree. It's like the four. It's basically the four horsemen. You know, it's like it's very, it's very similar. Like, wait, well, I, didn't Mustaine say he ripped off? Oh, he no, no. He said he ripped off Detroit Rock City. Yeah, yeah. Um, in in the mechanics or the four horsemen, it's 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 a blatant rip off of Detroit Rock City. Yeah, basically, if you speed up Detroit Rock City, it's the four horsemen. And and I'm not saying that. I'm saying he admits that he ripped that song off, whether. Intentionally or not, but I mean, come on, dude. We're we're talking. Um, James Hetfield was born in 1963. We're talking 1981, 1982. We're talking they were 18, 19, 20 years old when they were writing those songs. Yeah, you know, to say that to say that they lifted music. I mean, dude, come on. You know, every band, every kid when they're t- when you're writing for when you're writing songs for the first time, you especially again whether or not intentionally. You know, so, um, so let me. Ask, I don't know if he was sitting there like I'm going to take that and make it my. No, metal, he said he but, was listening to it in the car on his way there, and like he he wrote the riff, and then he didn't even realize he did it for. Like I said, unintentionally or intentionally. So, so let me ask you a question. You you asked me about vocalists and stuff. Are you talking about an, a, a front? And for lack of a term, frontmen, or are you talking about vocalists? Well, either way, I was, I mean, say, I was, I was thinking. I was thinking from a vocals perspective. I, I think from one of the greatest frontmen, like, like and other people that you I'll especially give him, like listening to, frontmen, and, and I'll give him credit on vocalists of all time would be Paul Stanley, front frontman and vocalist. I mean, he's a good vocalist. We, we, well, I mean, great, greatest rock frontman of all time. Um, I mean, well, I mean, think about Paul Stanley. By the way. I'm only going to give you crap for saying Paul Stanley because Eddie Trunk gave the same answer. Yeah, um, but I mean, like, I mean, that's... <laughs> I hate Eddie Trunk. I mean, get out of um, here. That's like saying who's the first heavy metal band at answering Black Sabbath. I mean, like, well, that's... Well, it's, it's just, it's just he's, because... He'd probably say that. I mean, yeah, Blue Cheer. Oh, you know, well, like... here's the thing. Um, Eddie Trunk only ta- only mentions that so he can get another opportunity to mention that he's the guy who got Ace Freely signed. Yeah, no. Um But, which is true. But he likes to talk about it, dude. Speaking um, of which, I, I picked up Blue Cheers' first album this week. Oh, did you really? I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I no, got it at the record yeah. show I went to. It was oh, 
Speaking of which, I don't think we told everybody what I got you. What I found oh, for oh. you. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, we do need to mention this uh, a little. A little quick, I and mean, then I want to get back to the Paul Stanley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, after, of course, it's just me being a dumbass. Um, we talked about, um, you know, the, the getting things signed and all that jazz. So here's what's funny is, um, I, I, most of the records I have, I'm pretty just casual about, you know, but there, hey, there have admittedly been a handful that I've been really interested in getting and was willing to pay a little more money for them. Um, and sadly, none of them are even due to a release. You know what I mean? Like, none of them are because I want the rare copy. It's I want any copy of it, and they're that hard to get, right? And, and look, we all know, what is the era of records that are hardest to get? 90 to, like, 94, yeah. 95. Because that was the last of that albums were printed on vinyl until... Like nineteen eight, like late eighty eight into eighty nine ninety, like it's that's when records get expensive because they stop pressing as many, um, and they're harder to find because you know obviously people didn't take care of their records. Like when I mean, like you and I treat C- treated CDs where we just throw them on the floor, or, oh you know, right. I'll just toss it on what, the, what? you know, oh I, I'm done listening to this in the car and I can't put it away right now. I'll just throw Which, it on the seat or in the console. Like that's you know people used to treat their records like that. Like oh well, I'm done listening to this. I'll just you know, put well, it down for a minute or whatever. Th- that's why it's funny that like when you can still get albums from the seventies that are really well taken care of because, and you, you can always tell, I always love this. Like one of the, and maybe, maybe you're going to tell me I'm full of crap. Do you want to know one of the easiest ways to look at a record and know it was well, it's well taken care of someone's names on it. Yeah. If you, if you see someone with like a, with like an ink, you know what I mean? Like with a, with a, with a ballpoint pen, they write their name on it. it that was someone who cared, you know? You know, it's but funny, right. you know, it's mean, funny like, about that. So I, I inherited a lot of records from my mom and I, yeah. I inherited actually a lot of the Kiss albums from my mom. And it, it's funny because she wrote all of her names, but she also wrote, you know, she wrote her name and it was Kiss's number one fan right under it. I mean, you have to realize awesome. she was like in her early teens when she got those albums oh, which, so which really is funny. hilarious um but no so i mean admittedly there there have been a handful of records that are normally speaking in that time or they're just the album that for some stupid reason is harder to get you know a great example is um no rest for the wicked by ozzy is the hardest ozzy record to get because they repressed the rest of them a million times and not that one. Bands, it just happens. I mean, there's a million reasons why this happens. I'm sure they'll do it eventually because Sharon is not not, not uh, adverse to making money, but... No, of course not. But point being, sometimes there's stupid reasons for it, whatever. Now, do I care that I, that I have an original one? Uh, I would be perfectly happy with a repress. Like, if there's a repress that was 20 bucks, I wouldn't even... I wouldn't even have thought twice about getting an original one because I'm like, oh, cool. I just want to listen to it. It's my favorite Ozzy album. Pretty much always has been. I just, I do. I I love The Ultimate Sin, but whatever. Okay, enough of that. There's a small handful of records that I've really, really wanted. Um, A Pleasant Shade of Grey by Fate's Warning was a a big deal. I didn't pay that much for it, but um, that was a big deal for me. Um, I actually have every Fate's Warning album on vinyl. Um, only one of them is OG, 
Um, I know you have Awaken the Guardian. You have an OG Awaken the Guardian. Um, yeah. I have an OG copy of No Exit that I mean, I've had since high school. A lot of the original copies I have that are worth a lot of money, like Show No Mercy, Rain and Blood, I I literally got lucky on. I've told the story before. Um, and, and like, the OG Metallicas I have, like, I have an original, like, you know, uh, I have an original Kill Em All, not like a, a, me a, a Mega Force one, and I have an original Ride the yeah. Lightning. I have original uh, Master of Puppets that, that, based on what I can track, it is in original pressing. I got those before vinyl like exploded like before people were like oh my god master of puppets but it's an og and i want to look like i'm cool in front of my friends 200 bucks easy i got those records when they were like 25 30 bucks any of the not any the majority of the records that i have that anybody that any record collector would give a crap about are ones that I bought back in the 90s for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, Because me too. no one wanted well, them. I have a lot of those, too. Like, I got my peace cells, I think, for, like, $3. I have peace cells. I bought it in the 90s. I have it. I, I paid, like, nothing for it. I have, well, like, like my copy of No Exit by Fate's Warning. Um, I, I, I randomly, you know, found it for next to nothing. But I do have every Fate's Warning album. And, but, dude, I don't know about you, but th this always happens where... I have every Fate's Warning album, but if I only could get one, it would have been a pleasant shade of gray, and that just happens to be the one that was super hard to find. That happens to me a lot, you know, where like, damn, damn it, I can get their well, look, same with Ozzy. It's like I could get their whole discography without without spending much money or without trying too hard, um, except the one I really want is the hardest one to get. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I paid a little more for a pleasant shade of gray, but anyway, can, can I tell the story? Because I, I have a very, I have a very funny way of, of, of selling this from my point of view. Yeah, go for it. So I'm, I'm at the record store. I, I went out to the record store. I never go to, because um, uh, I, I, store. I, a record store. Um, I actually had a hockey game, uh, or was it a hockey game? Uh, maybe I, I forget. But it, yeah. Either you, way. You either way. I, 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 either way. I had like, and it was literally like five minutes away from this. My favorite record store. Either way, I happen to be there, and I'm looking through. They have like you know all their wall vinyl up, and there's a lot of stuff there that I thought was cool. I had a lot of it. I didn't have some of it. Like they had a Cramps album that I really wanted, but it was, it was sealed. And I have a problem buying sealed vinyl at a higher price. Why? Because I know I'm just gonna open it and listen to it. So oh yeah, I'm, and, I'm exact same way. And it's not. It has nothing to do with me being like, oh, I've got to keep it sealed. It has to do with why am I gonna pay an extra like twenty dollars, thirty dollars, forty dollars because it's sealed when I know as soon as I get home, I'm just gonna ruin that. I may as well go home and try and find it at the open price either way so i i'm looking through and i see oh uh I, I see an album that i think i think duff might like so i'm i text and, and by the way let, let me also mention this is what you do when you go to record stores yeah i always text you i'm like hey i found this hey i found this i do have to mention what was the what's the name of the band and the records not anywhere near me is it tr uh what was the name of the band that i found you that, that this is what teed everything off I started and this band is—they're awesome too. What was it? Oh. Um, I can figure it out. Hold on, hold on. It's a band I was—I was admittedly unfamiliar with, and someone's going to be like, "How oh, did you not know them? They're the greatest band ever. I have them tattooed on my arm, on my um, arm, on my arm." But you know, we all know that's—it's going to happen. Um, it's the band Trance. Trance. That's it. Yeah. With their record Power Infusion, which is a guy who has a 
guitar cable tapped into his vein coming out of a Marshall amp. Exactly. Like, the cover, I was, I said yes to the record. I was going to say yes to the record without listening to it. You know, we always talk about, you know, when would you buy, back in the day when you would buy a record without listening to it, you, um, <laughs> just based off the cover. Well, here I am, a guy in my 40s willing to buy a record based off the cover because how could that not be an awesome record, and how could I not like it? And he just and he listened to it, and he's like, "Yeah, this is a hundred And I, I like they have a it's they like have an a, anvil cover, right? They have a turntable set up where you can listen to stuff. And as soon as I dropped, they had the, they had the first two albums. As soon as I listened to it, I'm like, "Yeah, this is a hundred percent your thing." And he goes, "Yeah, you get, you need to buy that for me." And I said, "And and what, what? By the way, what we do is normally speaking, you make some trips to the record store, and then after a little while, and every time you do, you buy them, and I just Venmo you whatever it costs. Right, right. And then after a while, you're like, all right, dude, I got like 20 records for you. I'll put them in the box and ship them, because it's pointless to ship them individually. I'm never like foaming at the mouth to get one. I'm just happy like you found one. Like that's pretty cool. So I, I, I have a backlog anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, I, 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 this, this time I just literally happened. So I, my recycle goes. I just didn't have any record boxes. I'm getting a huge order from Metal Blade tomorrow, right. so I'll have a record box. Plus now, now I ordered also from Hell's Headbanger, so I'm gonna have a couple record boxes, and I'll be able to ship you your stuff. But so I said, you know, what King's X album are you missing? And he's like, the one you don't, ha- the one they don't have. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I found, I think I found like tape. Whatever the Dogman. No, no, I found the the other one. There's another one I found. What was the tape one? Tapehead. Tapehead. Yeah, I'm like I found Tapehead. I'm like he's like yeah I have that. I'm like and and I'm like well they also have Dogman. He goes you 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 stop and you're like they have Dogman. And I said yeah why? And you're like hold on a minute. (laughs) And you're like well (laughs) what's funny is I have I have every King's X record up through um, Manic Moonlight right now. And you didn't believe me at first. Like, you're like, take a picture. You, like, told me to take a picture of it because you didn't believe me. (laughs) I I was like, wait, what? You, like, Um, were like, take a picture of it, smart guy. Like, I'm surprised you didn't ask me to hold up today's newspaper next to it. (laughs) Well, you know what I mean? That, that That would be like, that would be like, that would be like I'm standing next to the world's greatest set of boobies. I'd be like... Pictures or it didn't happen. Yeah, pictures and it didn't happen. And I expect to see today's newspaper next to them. <laughs> and, and if your hand if your hand's covering the nipple, I'm gonna be really mad. Um, <laughs> um, but let me. Okay, so let me. I again, little backstory, and then I'll 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 get back to this one. So hey, in the world of cool OG vinyl that I have, I have King's X Out of the Silent Planet, their first album, came out in 1988. I have an OG copy of that on vinyl, like a, a Mega Force copy of that on vinyl, and it's because back in the '90s I found it for next to nothing. You know, I paid two dollars for it or something, and I've been listening to it ever since. I, I'm utterly in love with that album. It's the album with Goldilocks on it, which Charlie Benante considers like the like one of the greatest songs ever written, and he's not wrong. Um, and I so that's the only one I have that's OG, but. Um, I've got Gretchen Goes in Nebraska, I've got Faith, Hope, Love, I've got their self-titled album. And then over the last couple of years, um, I had actually gone to Record Store Day a couple of times and camped out. I didn't like all night, but I'd go at like 2 o'clock in the morning and I'd I'd bring a chair and I'd just kind of chill and hang out there and listen to music, whatever. It's cool, it's fun. But I did it for Ear Candy and Tapehead and Please Come Home, Mr. Bulbous and Manic Moonlight, I, at least a couple of those um, I did because they, they were re-released for Record Store Day and because King's X is not a huge band, they didn't press a lot of them. 
And when, I've mentioned this before, though. When, when I would go on on um, on Record Store Day, the people, the other people that go on Record Store Day, were just trying to buy whatever records were the most were the rarest or the ones they thought were going to be worth the most money. And I'm like, I don't want one of these one of these dicks getting the King's X record and never listening to it solely because they just think it's going to be worth more money. I'm like, I would just go and just buy the King's X record. I'd tell the guys behind me in line, I'm like, look, man, I'm just here for the King's X. You don't have to get all the other ones. I don't give a damn. Um, but Dogman, which is arguably their best album, and I, I say that with an asterisk, it's one of uh, Gretchen Goes to Nebraska is probably the album they're most known for, but Dogman was it came out in '94. That's the album when they okay. So Kings X played at Woodstock '94. This is not me being Kings X fan. This is me saying if you read anything about about Woodstock '94. King's X is is well known for being the the band who played earlier on on opening day that everybody walked away from. Like to this day, you could read about it. They're the band that quote unquote stole the show on day one. And um, again, that's not that's not my opinion. I wasn't there. Um, and in fact, they, they uh, uh, John Stewart on his old show, he had King's X play on there, and he flat out says he's like, I don't remember. He said, I, I don't remember much about that rainy weekend in 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 upstate New York, but I remember one thing: one band stole the show, and it was King's X. And so that album was pretty big for them. The song, the title track, was big for them. Um, the, uh, 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 the the song "Shoes" is the one that Dimebag used to get. Uh, he would call Doug Pinnock at like three o'clock in the morning when the whole when all of Pantera was drunk and try to get the whole tour bus to sing the 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 intro to Shoes. To, you know, he just leave it on his voicemail and crap. It's funny, um, but King's X, their their first five albums to me, I hate using the word masterpiece, but they are. They're, if you're a King's X fan, those first five records, they're flawless. Like every track, they're 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 amazing, and. They're also better as a group. Like, I'm someone who always says, like, there's a lot of albums out there that every track on the record is better when you listen to it as an album. I think the first five King's X records are all better when you listen to them in order as a group. And I only say that because there's this really cool natural progression where, like, they have an album and they do something on that album, and then the next album they kind of they take that idea and kind of spin it. Their first five albums are not alike. Um, but anyway, Dogman is a heavier album. It's lower tuned. It's just it's a it's a brilliant record. But it's the only one that you can't get your damn hands on. The worst part is the version you found was re. It's a repress from like 2017. But they pressed like 10 of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, dude, in the years that I've been looking for this record, I've never actually seen one on sale. And I don't mean in person. I mean, I've never seen one listed on eBay. I've never seen one on Discogs. I've never seen one on sale. Because it just, they didn't print many of them. Because it's, again, it's King's X, dude. Gretchen goes to Nebraska and their self-titled album, you know, the self-titled record... Um, um, 
or sorry, uh, Faith, Hope, Love has the song It's Love on it, which got some MTV airplay. It's one of those, you know, songs that's well known and things. But um, yeah, dude, it's like I've literally never seen it. So when you said you had it, I'm like, uh, and by the way, I wasn't checking up on you as much as I was more just like was not expecting that. You know what I mean? One of those. I'm not <laughs> expecting you to be like, I just found Dogman. I was like, wait, what? Well, no, the, I know it was it was just hilarious. Your reaction because you were like, it, you're, I was like, what? What King's X album are you missing? And actually, I'm glad I asked you because I, I saw it and I was like, hey, he probably has that. And then I thought, maybe I better ask him because the because I literally I thought to myself, I'm gonna get home and say, oh yeah, they had some King's X, they had dog, and you're gonna be like, dog man. No, I would have told I would have told you to don't be don't be an f up and get in your car and go back. Uh, well, not to, not to mention though, it was it was clearly I don't need we don't need to mention, uh, dude. It was not like obnoxiously expensive, but it was a more expensive record. Right. No, and actually, I got I I got a more expensive one that day too. I got Saint Vitus's first album. Oh, really? Um, that that uh, I listened- was that question for you we yeah. don't need to use numbers here plus or minus what i what mine costs. oh minus way minus okay but um, in fairness in fairness this is the most expensive record i've ever bought well yeah um, i mean like this let me put it this way like you you say that's the most expensive record you ever bought i say it's actually probably beats any record individual record i ever bought like not counting box sets and box sets and stuff but if you want to talk comic books you spent like a single digit percentage of what I spent on comic books, <laughs> and, and you know what? what? Here's what's interesting. I, I I justified in my head. Well, piss it. I don't care. I, King, it's King's X. Like I don't need to justify anything. If you know me at all, you know I worship this band. And dude, their first couple of mainly their first two albums back in high school. Because dude, I was I'm I'm at heart. You know, there there's two kinds of. There, there's there's two kinds of, of metal that that I've always been really attracted to, dude. I love the glammy stuff too, but that's being a drummer, and I, I love I love drummers from the glam era. If it wasn't for drummers from the glam era, I probably wouldn't like it as much. Um, but dude, I mean Rat and Dawkins and all them, I love those bands. But I've always had a really strong. I, I gravitate to what I would call the classic metal bands. Your Judas Priest, your Dio's, and you know bands like you know. Although I wasn't into them 25 years ago, bands like the Rods or you know Saxon. Uh, um, remind me to talk about Saxon, by the way. Let's not forget that one. Um, Go to the Saxon. Saxon concert. Uh, we'll we'll get back. We'll circle back. But I've always gravitated to that. The other kind of stuff I've always gravitated to is prog, prog metal. But what I would say, prog metal in the infancy stages. Um, it, by today's standards, is Queensryche a prog band? No. In in those days, well, yeah, they were. They were considered a prog band back in those days. Um, by today's standards, Fate's Warning is probably laughable at being a prog band. Um, because today, prog bands... Look, look progressive music's always forward-thinking. You know, I mean, look, man, what what Rush did was complicated. What Dream Theater did in the early 90s was way more complicated than that. And by today's standards, early Dream Theater is nothing. You know, I, I saw I saw someone recently doing a review or like a reaction to their first album. And well, second album, Images and Words. But I, I saw a YouTube video where he's he's doing a reaction to Images and Words. He's like, I can't believe it's that simple. Well, dude, I mean, I don't consider an album with. Uh, 17, 16 time signatures to be simple, but by today's standards, it is. It, it's a progression of music. It's how it goes, you know. But um, I just, I really loved 
Queensryche, and I and um um uh I I liked the Galactic Cowboys, uh, who are prog in the way that King's X is prog. Um, Fate's Warning, um, bands like that. I, I got really, really into them back in those days. So King's X was an important band to me. Um, and uh, so, but <laughs> the the number one, the, the the two biggest ways that I that I justified this was number one, I don't buy records, with one exception. Uh, I don't buy records I don't listen to. There's one notable exception to that, but I don't buy records I'm not going to listen to. And I actually listen to Dogman more than I probably like in a, in a in a ten to one. I listen to Dogman more than any other album by King's X. Um, if I want to listen to King's X, I do one of two things: I listen to their first five albums in a row, or I just listen to Dogman. Like if I'm just listening to one album, I tend to listen to that one um, because there's one track on. I mean, I, I'm I'm sorry, you can say what you want about me. There's a track on the album Dogman. Oh, I do. That well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you want to, if you want to break my balls, break my balls. But there is a song on He's the album Dogman. What's that? He's a pervert. Well, yeah, <laughs> dude, I'll I'll never forget when you sent me a, a a newspaper headline. There was some some politician who's like. He's like, this politician said, I am not a pervert. You sent me that, and I go, oh, I am. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was your only response was, I am. I am. <laughs> so but no, there is legitimately a song on King's X Dogman that. Kind of, it, it hits me in an emo. It, it, I I don't want to say like I listen to it and cry, but there is a track on that record that hits me on a pretty emotional level, like a baby. Well, it's true. Hey, man, they, there's there's nah, music I, out there that that, dude, that 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 really whatever the kids would say pulls your heartstrings or whatever. Whatever I, um, the kids would say. No, the kids would say you just don't get me, mom. No, I, I well, get it, dude. I'm just busting your balls. No, no, I know you are. But the the song cigarettes, which oh, is that what that album is that that on that album? Yes, it is. Look, I'll be honest with you. I don't. I'm gonna tell our listeners right now. You've tried to get me into King's X before. It just has never worked. You know, I may li- maybe I'll listen to Dogman before I send it to you. Listen to it. It's worth it. I got, the, I got nothing better. To, got nothing if you, better it, to I mean, do, dude. The, the the oh, and by the way, it it is not. It doesn't skip. There's a fake start to the song Dogman. Well, I hope so. Otherwise, I'm going to be like, "What?" No, no, no. What I mean is, it goes, it goes, "Give me a dollar," and then it just repeats. There's a, there, there's a, there's a fake start to. I just want you to know, kind of like typo negative, how they do fake starts. <laughs> Dude, they got me that time, and it's still, <laughs> like they um, didn't get me when I put on the CD. They got me when I put on the vinyl. I was so well, pissed. Yeah, you forgot. Well, um, no, I I expected the CD intro because I've been oh, listening right, to right, the right, CD right. for you know, fifteen twenty years. Um, but no, the, the song Dogman starts, it has a fake start. Um, but the second track, it's called Shoes. Like, the song start. okay, so what, what do I love most about King's X? They are, they're a prog band that you don't notice as a prog band. Because they play in goofy time signatures, they do a lot of weird stuff, but it's not noticeable because it's not wank. It's not, it's not like that. It's just they play in odd grooves, and they, you know, um, uh, like I really like the song "Flies and um, of Flies and Blue Skies." It's in twelve eight, which isn't that weird, and you don't notice it. You're not sitting there like, "Oh wow, that's prog," but you know, you sit down and you try to play it, and you go, "This isn't that bad." If you try to play King's X as a band, it's complicated. It's complicated to do because they're a power trio, and. Kind of like Rush used to do, where 
Sometimes it would be the bass that's playing the melody and, and the guitars are kind of bobbing and weaving in it. They do that. The, the, the bass and the guitar kind of, they weave in and out of each other a lot. And all three guys in King's X sing all the time. Not all the time. But the song Shoes starts off with, there can be but better ways. It's this, but it's this three-person vocal harmony that starts the song out, and they just do it constantly. Um, because uh, drummer, drummer, bass player, it's a three-piece band, again. You know, you've got, you've got Doug Pinnock as the main vocalist, but Ty Tabor sings all the time, too, and so does Jerry Gaskell, the drummer. So there's just the vocal harmonies on this record, to me, just, uh, you know, it, that, it just grabs me. Um, like the and the song of flies and blue skies is amazing. Uh, I mean, like I said, in, in in Rex's case, you're gonna say to me that's not my thing, but there are tracks on here that I see you going. But that's a cool song. I, my my opinion is your 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 review of the album is gonna be not my thing, but there's a couple of cool songs in there because they do write riffs. Though I'm more willing to bet you tell me there's bass riffs on the song you like, because. It's the bass that tends to drive the melody of these songs, not the not the guitars. Well, Doug's um, a very good bass player. He's a very good bass player, and what's interesting is nothing. He he only uses like four frets. <laughs> he's like, I only use the first four frets like ever, which is bogus. He doesn't. Um, he plays a lot of twelve strings and does some not complicated stuff, but it's just he's the most like in the pocket awesome bass player. Anyway, that's enough about that. But I just see you more looking at me and being like, oh, the song fool you has a really cool groove to it more than i think you're going to be like i want to listen to this all the time but anyway yeah there's a song on it called cigarettes which um has a really great guitar solo on it and like the last minute of the song which feels more like kind of an extended outro has this really crazy guitar solo where we're and it's weird because it's kind of buried in the mix you don't really even notice it and ty's just he's just tearing into it normally ty's <clears throat> guitar solos are more melodic in parts of the song at the end of cigarettes it's just like uh it's uh a, a rare example of ty just kind of letting loose and um uh just kind of going um you know crazy um but the lyrics to that song man it's it's one of the you, you know what i well it's kind of like your you know your english teacher when they would have you read something and the English teacher would try to tell you what it means, and you're like, I totally got a completely different thing out of that. Or sometimes an author will write something, and it's ambiguous as to what it means. Maybe, maybe someone in uh, in King's X um, has said over the years what the song is technically about. Um, I know that... Any song that Jerry writes, he tends to not say what it's about because he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it for, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, you know. He's like, I, I, I like you thinking whatever. But the, the, the lyrics to cigarettes can be taken a number of different ways, and I don't know, man. It, it, it kind of, me- I don't know. It's weird. The lyrics of that song mess with me. They really mess with me, and, and the chorus is deep man it's it's depressing as all hell while not sounding that way it's an interesting song um we're, we're totally worth your time but the other half of it was i'm like damn it i'm going to see them in a couple of months and they always do meet and greets so i'm like 
I know I just recorded an, an episode yesterday saying I don't care about autographs. But I'm going to get them to sign that damn thing. You know, I will, I will bring the sleeve with me when I go see King's X. Because let's be fair, there won't be a mosh pit. <laughs> it's King's X. There will not be a mosh pit for King's X. I am not in danger of having someone. Dude, dude, like, to tell you how nerdy King's X fans are, they, they, they do a song called Goldilocks. It's off their first album. <clears throat> and again, I, I mentioned earlier, like Charlie from Anthrax Things is one of the greatest songs ever written. And I, I do too. And actually, the, the interesting story about that song was um, ma their manager at the time didn't put it out as the first single because he was afraid they would get too big too fast. And they never got big because they didn't release the... Like, the best weapon they had to become famous was that song. Because had that song come out in 1988, it would it guaranteed would have skyrocketed them. But they didn't release it as a single because their manager was afraid to. Stupid. But anyway, besides the point. Like, they, they, they themselves will say that was their opportunity that was pissed away because of bad management. Um, but when they do Goldilocks... I, I've, I've mentioned this on the show, but it's been a long time. And Rex, I know I've told you this, but regardless, um, when they do Goldilocks, they, I mean, clearly their microphones are on boom stands, meaning um, Ty and and Doug, they, they, they play bass and guitar, so their microphones are on stands. When they play Goldilocks, they turn the microphones toward the crowd on stands, meaning King's X does not do any vocals in that song. They play it instrumentally and the crowd sing the entire song. And, dude, when you watch a crowd do triple harmonies, it's wacky. <laughs> you can watch any video of King's X playing Goldilocks live, and you will listen to the crowd sing the chorus with harmonies. They're that nerdy. <laughs> like, what, cra what crowd for what crowd does harmonies of, of a chorus? Like, it's, it's wacky wacky watching him do it. But anyway, I'm going to see King's X. In fact, I'm driving like five hours to do it. I've also recently said I'm really not into going that far out of my way to see a concert. But King's X does not tour much. Doug is like 73 years old. It's crazy. He doesn't look it. I mean, dude looks like maybe 50. Does not look like he's in his 70s. Um, but and all he does is smoke pot and drink wine. <laughs> it's like his whole life. <laughs> he's a cool dude. Um, but I'm like, dude, okay. I'm gonna, I'm going to see them live. I will take the dog, man. I will take it. I'll have them autograph it. That'll be awesome. Um, I'll bring that and my and my copy of um, Out of the Silent Planet. Get those autographed. And and again, like I said, it, it's something. I, I will get the money I paid for it, which is not an exorbitant amount of money by any means. Trust me, it's not like it's not an exorbitant amount of money. It's just a little more than I would normally spend. But um, I will get my money's worth out of it just for the number of times I'm going to listen to it. And then add to the fact that I'll, I will get it signed. I, I can't see why I yeah. wouldn't. I mean, look, you know, the bottom line, and we talked about this all, you know, we talked about this during our signing episode and stuff and like that. And by the that. way, I didn't mean to make this all about Dogman, but it's an amazing record, so damn it, it deserves 10 minutes of my time on this no, show. No, we, we just, we, you know, we talked about this during the signing episode. Like, there are just some things that are important to us. Like, for me, like, if you want to talk about what, what I would love to get signed again, I, I, I talked about this last episode or a couple episodes ago where it was, it would have been, I want Anthrax to sign my Judge Dredd. I am the Absolutely. law single because to me, like it's, it's, it's the rare, perfect meeting of two things. I absolutely love comics and metal like, and, and by people who actually, I know for a fact, appreciate and love both as well. Like, I think truthfully and honestly, if you look back, I think 
one of the reasons I liked Anthrax so much throughout the years is because I, I felt like a kinship with Anthrax. Like, even while reading Scott Ian's book, I, you know, I'm reading to myself, like, I'm like, dude, I would have hung out with Scott Ian even if he was in a local bar band. You know what I mean? Like, if he was in a local bar band in my hometown, I would have been buddies with him. Because, like, he and I are basically very similar. You know, it, it's so, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you know, because I know a lot, Anthrax gets a lot of crap. Because, oh, Joey doesn't, Joey sings, he doesn't yell or scream or growl, and, oh, they're not as good, and Testament's better, and Exodus is better, and whatever your favorite thrash metal band is better. Um, but, look, I don't <laughs> I've care. i always said, I, what I love about Anthrax is the vocals. Yeah. <laughs> well, the drums, well, true. I mean, well, what Scott's, I like about them more so than their, than their opposition or whatever. Like, like their, Scott is my favorite rhythm guitar player in metal, period. Charlie is my favorite drummer in metal, period. I mean, he's... I, I have trouble saying period, but he's on my short list. Yeah, know. I mean, for me, Charlie is... Charlie is the kind of guy where if you need a guy to play drums and you know he can play anything, you bring in Charlie. Like, in my yeah. opinion. Like, look, I mean, yeah. maybe he couldn't play like... And I'm not saying he can't, but maybe he couldn't play Bleed by Mashuga. Maybe. Oh, by the way, I, can, I, can I interject really quickly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, about that song? So, did you ever you know the the the, the YouTube channel Drumio? Maybe I don't know. Okay, it's it's where they it, it's like the only drum channel. Like when I've sent you videos of like, look, it's Tommy Aldridge playing, um, uh, like playing. Uh, okay, that's Drumio, right? It's like the drum channel, and they get like every every drummer they can get them all in there. But that's the channel that does the have a drummer try to play a song they've never heard before channel. Um, kind of like the, the, a different channel that's very yeah, I similar. I think I remember you sending me that stuff. Yeah, like a, a different channel did something very similar with Jordan Rudis. They gave they gave Jordan Rudis that god awful song that Alicia Keys did, and they, they took the piano out and let Jordan Rudis do his thing. Well, they they do that. Drumio does that. Well, now that Mike, I promise we'll get back to what you're saying, but I I don't want to forget to mention this about about Bleed. They had Mike Portnoy on. And what's interesting is they were working on getting Mike Portnoy on the show anyway before he announced he was going to Dream Theater. So they were going to have him on the show to just talk about non-Dream Theater stuff. And then when he rejoined Dream Theater, like, okay. So, like, Mike Portnoy did a video where he played Under a Glass Moon, which is, like, one of my favorite songs ever. Under a Glass Moon is amazing. It's one of the two songs that that I had in my head when I did the drums for, like, the arguably the best early song Rex and I's old band did. Um, it was where I got that idea. But uh, anyway, they have Mike Portnoy on there, and they did that with him. The, you've never heard this song before, go ahead and we'll take the drums out and figure something out, play it. Well, the problem with Mike Portnoy is the guy has a ridiculous memory where he could have heard a record 30 years ago and he still remembers it. He's that way. But he also listens to a gigantic list of music of various styles. It's hard to find stuff that Mike Portnoy doesn't know just because he's such a serious music fan. Well, his drum tech worked with them to find something he didn't know. Anyway, 
they said to Mike Portnoy, they're like, okay, we're gonna have you play something, and he's like, dude, I. They're like, they're like, hey, what about what what about Bleed by Mashuga? He looks at me, and goes, no way in hell am I doing that. I know I'm the prog guy. That's not happening. You're not gonna make me do that. <laughs> like, like he flat out. Now, could Mike Portnoy play it? Um, willing to guarantee you, he could. I'm willing to guarantee you, he could learn it. I mean, we're talking about a guy that that can play like. Neil Peart drum solo, like every Neil Peart drum solo you ever did on every record, Portnoy knows them all note for note. I realize it's stylistically a different thing. I would be shocked if he can't play it. But even Mike Portnoy was like, screw you, I'm not doing that song. <laughs> he literally was like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, it ended up being a Nickelback song. And what's funny is he said that Nickelback was going to have him play. They, they called him to have him play for them for like a, a show or something. For like one show, they're like, hey, and we want you to learn like a dozen songs. And then Mike Portnoy was saying, yeah, it's cool, I'll do it. But then he ended up, they ended up not doing the show, so he didn't do it. Um, so he's like, I, what's sad is like Nickelback called me up and wanted me to do a show with him, but because it got canceled, I never ended up listening to the songs. He's like, I really don't know them at all. It was, it was a cool episode. Um, cause dude, I don't care how many people want to bust Nickelback's balls. They're famous for a reason. They're very good at what they do. I can't stand them, but they're very, very good at what they do or they wouldn't be selling arenas out the way they do. And they wouldn't have the staying power that they've had cause they've been around for a long time. Anyway, that's the bleed story. Go back to what you were saying. I apologize for the derail. I've been drinking a lot of whiskey, so I don't but, really but you were talking about saying. Charlie being really Could okay, Charlie yeah. play bleed. Probably. You know, I'd be shocked. I mean, let, let's be fair. I mean, uh, he's way, also like fifty years old. The, the way that the way, well, yeah. So, um, the way the way Charlie was able to wrap his head around some of those really goofy Vinnie Paul foot patterns, I would be surprised if he couldn't do it. But let's not pretend he could just hear it once and get over there and play it. Yeah, like Charlie. I mean, look, like, like Charlie would way. be sitting down and working on it. The reason why Charlie's one of my favorite drummers is not necessarily because he can play anything; it's because of what he plays. Um, I, I mean, Char first of all, Charlie writes all of Anthrax's music, and when I say writes all of Anthrax's music, I don't mean the drums. Like he no, does he everything. Music. Scott writes the lyrics. Like Scott will, Scott will tell you. Like you know, people always ask him in interviews, like, "What's your favorite riff you've ever written?" And he's basically like. Uh, March of the SOD, and they're like, oh, really? Nothing off the new album? He goes, well, no, because I didn't write any of it. <laughs> I mean, he's he knows it. I mean, like... I mean, but not, not to say that Scott doesn't contribute, because I don't care. One person might write a song, but yeah, generally I mean, speaking, in a band context, um, when, it's not, when it's not a band like Megadeth, where it's one guy and he just hands them note for note... But, uh, you know, I, I guarantee you Scott influences it a little bit. But, no, Charlie writes all their music. Yeah, I mean, Scott. And has since, has, not on their first album. No, 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 yeah, yeah. But ever since spreading the disease, Charlie's basically written all the music. Yeah, and I mean, so and Charlie's a very accomplished guitar player as and well a, as. And a great piano player. Drummer. Too. Yeah, I mean, the guy the guy is a multi-instrument guy. He's an amazing artist. Like, they, I mean, truthfully and honestly, Charlie's a good enough artist where if he wanted to really work in comics, he probably could. He could have been a comic book artist, of course. Didn't he? Oh yeah, to I mean he's, I mean he's an excellent he artist. I mean he, he, he actually has been since. I I remember reading an art an interview with him, and he said since Fistful of Metal, he hasn't done the Anthrax covers, but he's been in charge of essentially in charge of the art around the Anthrax covers he, because he was like basically yeah. so embarrassed about Fistful of Metal. 
Well, it's the wrong hand. I know the guy has two right or left hands. Like, <laughs> like not not only by the way is it stupid in con in in concept. It's conceptually a stupid cover, and it's executed in a really bad way. Like, if someone took that idea for the cover and did a great job of it, it would still be stupid. But add to the fact that they did a terrible job to of it, you know. So, I mean, like, on, dude, any anybody would have been mad about that. But it's kind of it's kind of like the cover. It's kind of like the the the, the famous story of the Nintendo game Mega Man Two. You know, you know, Mega Man Two is famous because um, Mega Man is holding a gun because they didn't tell the artist he shoots the gun from his ha from his hand. The gun is part of his hand, so he thought they had a gun, and they were like, "Ah, crap! We got to put it out anyway." Um, at that point, you have to put it out, but. Oh, that would kill me. I hate that cover. I hate it. It's so st forget about the bad the 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 screw up on it. It's just stupid looking. Anyway, continue. No, but I mean, like, yeah. So Charlie's Charlie's an excellent drummer. But, um, anyways, going back to what we were talking about before, like, I mean, I mean, yeah. So yeah. Long story short, I got you, dog man. Um, and I didn't get it for you. You paid me for it, no. but yeah, I, I did locate it, I, it for you. Yeah, you located. I, I I send you the money. And, right, right. So know, it wasn't I, it wasn't a gift, but like yeah, it, it's funny because I mean I happen to have a lot more record stores around me that have a lot more like inventory. Yeah, I now I, I have to drive to like Rochester, and there's a great record store in Rochester. You've been there. It's a great yeah, yeah. record store in Rochester. A friend but, of ours is actually taking their kid to their there because because uh, their kid got into vinyl actually. But yeah, but it, the difference is. Any given day, you're, you're, you, you, you've got whatever they have that day, and they push a lot of product. So it's very easy that you'd go there this week, and there'd be something there, and then you go back next week, and it's gone. So I have gone in there and found some pretty killer, like, oh, my God, I can't believe they have this. But they're busy every day. They don't keep stock very long. You know, they, they do, in fairness, they price to sell. They don't, they don't, they, they sell it, you know, whatever you would consider like the, the normal price for the record. They don't, they don't push, there, there's a, there's a record store near me where the guy just, there's one record store near me I like, she's great, just she doesn't have a lot of inventory. The guy that has like deep, deep piles of stuff, he just, he's someone who's willing to hold onto a record for 30 years waiting for the person who's willing to overpay for it. Yeah, it's like when the guy who's like. I'm gonna charge. I'm gonna charge five dollars more for this record and hold onto it for thirty years because one day somebody's gonna walk through that door and be willing to pay yeah. that five dollars. And you all, because you can't get through his store. It's hard to walk through his store. He's got so much crap. But, but I mean, anyway, I have two record stores, or two not two record stores, two record shows near me too. Um, that happen once a month. Yeah, which um, rarely happen around here. Yeah, they do, so but not often. I went to this new one. I, I skipped the one that's farther away and went to the closer one that's actually like maybe about 15 minutes away from me, and that's where I found uh, a couple of records that I'm, I'm very happy I got. I got Faith No More's The Real Thing, like which for me, like it's funny because as I, I have 50, I've now up to about 1,500 records, so it's getting harder and harder and harder for me to find stuff that I really want because... I've gotten to the point of where I have so many records now. I'm trying to only get stuff I really want. I used to just be like, oh, that's cool. I'll buy that. Oh, that's cool. I'll buy that. But 1,500 records takes up some real space. So I've tried to like make – I may even actually go through my records and say like, yeah, I don't really need this. Yeah, I don't really need this and, and get rid of some of them. I probably have close to half of that. Um, 
but again, my big problem is I'm limited to my avail uh, my availability. I'm limited in my ability to shop for them. Yeah, because I do not. I have to drive two hours away, two two and a half hours away. Because, dude, there's one there's one really cool record shop in Syracuse, but again, they don't. You know, you're limited to kind of what they got in that day. I have found some cool stuff there, but I've never found anything like holy crap. I find some cool stuff, but I've never found any holy crap there. Um, there's nothing in Albany, and to drive to to drive to rock, you know what I mean? Like it's I don't have the access to it. Like all of those things that you're like, I've gone in and just bought all this. I was like, I can't do that. Um, yeah. So so it, I mean, I'm not making excuses. I'm saying. My no, you're making excuses. Why don't you own more crap? Right. Like my <laughs> no, dude. dude yeah, I remember how I was. I remember how I was with CDs. Even before we started getting them for free at the radio station, I just obsessively bought. If I liked a band, I owned their discography because I wanted to listen to it. I mean, back in those days, it's the only way you could listen to them. But I would ban- I would buy a band's discography because I wanted to hear them. Well, I almost um, did that with Amon Amarth this past weekend. So Metal Blade Records has had a clearance sale going on since Christmas. Um, and like, like the record price, some of the record prices are obscene. Some of the record prices actually made me angry because I'm like, I paid like three times as much for that record that they're now selling for 10 bucks, but I picked up a lot. And it was one of those things where Imani Marth is a band example. I almost picked up Imani Marth's entire discography and I'm thinking to myself like, yeah, it'd be nice to have. And then as I went through their discography, I'm like realizing like, you know, I like Amon Amarth. I really do. I'm going to see them with Cannibal Corpse and Obituary. I like Amon Amarth, but I'm not someone who's going to sit there and listen to every single Amon Amarth album. There are a few albums that I really, really like that I'll listen to over and over and over again. And there, and there are some albums where, like, you know, I'm cool just kind of owning it digitally. So it's kind of interesting. So, like, you know, maybe, maybe, I mean, we're, we're like an hour into the show, but. You know what? What might be an interesting topic, and you started off with like vocalists and stuff from the '70s, but like we've kind of well, yeah, that was just a random that. idea. But anyway, but but what are some bands that like? You know, somebody actually asked me on social media like that, like recent, like today actually. Physical media as a whole is going away. So Best Buy, Target, a lot of these big box Walmart big box retailers, they're gonna stop selling DVDs. They're gonna stop selling CDs. Vinyl's questionable because there's still a market for vinyl, even more so than CDs and DVDs. Even still, though, but like your big box retailers barely sell it. Right. They yeah, sell I mean, like, Walmart, oh, they're going to have like the new Beyonce record. You're not going to go they, there to find like Cannibal Corpse, you look, know? Yeah. Look at look at Walmart. They have 10 different albums in stock. But when vinyl was out of when vinyl was out of um, out of popularity, they did it then, too. They they, you know, Best Buy has always had. 15 different albums of the, I mean they'll always they always have had you know a copy of like Dark Side of the Moon or you know those 10 classic rock albums that they can always you know whatever um they'll always have they'll probably all well, I'm not saying they will now but they've always kind of had those that's nothing crazy um but record stores also never went away vinyl stores never went away they just serviced a much smaller niche I don't care how you want to pronounce it. I say niche. Um, a a much smaller niche group where now, you know, there's more people that are into it, but it was a small, small niche group. Yeah, but 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 like basically like so yeah. Point being that is that a lot of big box retailers are getting rid of physical media. So somebody asked me like, what are your top? So they they're really into movies. So they were like, what are your yeah. top five movies that 
you know, you would that that you really feel like you need like every time there's a format change like okay we went from VHS to DVD what five movies did you feel like you needed to get on DVD okay we went from DVD to Blu-ray what five movies did you really feel like you needed to get on Blu-ray now with with music it's a little different because you know I could ask like well what five albums but like I'm actually going to be curious and go a little bit next step and say you know, and this might be difficult for, and I, I don't mean it has to be something you currently own, but what are some bands that you would say, given the opportunity, like, let's say all of the albums are in front of you at a reasonable price. What are some bands where you, like, if, if I was to say to you, Duff, I own a vinyl pressing of every band. Give me five bands that you would immediately say, I want their discographies of X, Y, and Z, like on vinyl or, or CD, whatever. What, you know, like I'm going to say, okay. what are some bands that you would immediately say, I need can, their entire discography? I, you, I know one answer. Can we can we take out whether or not I own it, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You, I'm not saying what do you own. I'm right, saying right, right. given the opportunity, and I, I again, I don't mean like, oh, well, if I had $10,000. No, I mean like... Right. If I was to say to you, hey, you You're know what? You're almost making like a like a desert island discography list. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of basically like, you know, basically like, again, what are some like, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll even add a caveat to that. Not even desert island. Like if someday you said, you know what? CDs are back in now and, and they sound better than ever for some reason. I don't yeah, know. Sure. You know, I, I need to I feel like I need to go back and get this band's discography because it just, you know, that's the format I want to chase. So, like, what are some bands you would choose? Um, and why? I mean, a quick answer is Iron Maiden. Okay, be, but like, be, would you say their discography or yes. like? Okay, but their discography, legitimately minus one. I, and that'd be I, Virtual Eleven. I virtual assume. Eleven. I I can't find. I can't. Uh, I love the X Factor. While I don't think of it as an Iron Maiden album from the perspective of it. Is just a completely different thing. You don't think the Klansman is worth it? Uh, not that version of it. <laughs> the the Klan, no, the Klansman's an amazing song. Not on that record. No, no, I do not. I will not buy that on vinyl so I can get the Angel and the Gambler or Future Real. Despite being one of their most played songs live, it's crazy how many years they did Future Real. Um, but. Dude, very few. Dude, what bands have more than a couple of record, a couple of records, and a flawless discography? I, th it's arguable if any bands do, um, maybe, um, but Iron Maiden again, I would, I would want all of their albums. I would, you know what I mean? Like, okay, yes, I, I would. Would I, would I buy Virtual Eleven just to have the set? I mean. I don't know, maybe, um, probably, but yeah, Iron Maiden easily, and I and I say that because I truly love all of their albums in varying degrees, and even even something like Fear of the Dark, that which is not on par with their music, has a couple of songs on it that are absolutely amazing. Now, if I don't have the live again, we're, let's take live albums out of this equation, right? Yeah. If, well, I mean, well, so okay, it gets like, difficult there and made because there are so right. many. I albums. will, I will consider Live After Death an official, like one of the albums, you know, because that's part of their that's part of their generally accepted 
normal discography. Uh, I'm not going to get into every other live album. Yeah, they like did. you know, Rock and Rio, yeah, and, I'm not, and I'm not even a real live one and a six, real six, dead six one. I don't, and... I don't care. Um, but I am going to say that I would want Fear of the Dark because if I don't have their, if I don't have live versions of Fear of the Dark, I want that song. That well, song. Well, there's is, also Be Quicker, Be Dead too. Uh, and from here to eternity, and afraid to shoot. I love afraid to yeah, shoot. Yeah, we're afraid to shoot strangers. Afraid. I, I, I covered it. You Amazing. know, I, I did a cover of it. I, I love that song. And No Prayer for I, the Dying. I just bought No, no Prayer for the Dying it's, literally it's, today. He just bought it because he wanted hooks in you. But No, I, I um, bought it because I want bring your daughter, bring your daughter, and, and holy smoke actually, smells I, good. I, I actually love the song Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. I know and you I do. Don't, like, like, I love the song Holy Smoke because it's kind of laughable and it's funny and campy and goofy. Smells but good. I do actually love the song Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. And I like the song Tail Gunner too. Tail Gunner's uh, good, yeah. Um, I mean Mother Russia's Oh man. <laughs> Let's not go there. Um but I would uh okay, you know what? We're gonna Okay, let it, it always takes us an hour to have something to actually talk about. But <laughs> That's why we're fun. <laughs> we're we're going to go back. We're going to go. Dude, uh, <laughs> you just wait. I'm getting more hammered by the minute. <laughs> okay. We're going to go back and forth on this. Um, you know, uh, hey, you want to finish her off? No, let, let's go back and forth on this. I don't I'll, have uh, one rubber glove on. Yeah. Um, so I would say, um, again, yes, I am not probably ever going to listen to Virtual 11. I would suffer through virtual. I would suffer through Virtual 11. Because of my absolute love for pretty much the rest of their discography. I mean, the, the come on, dude. Every record they did in the 80s is amazing. Uh, amazing. Yes, I am very critical of side B of peace of mind, but dude, I would not want to live without peace of mind. I would I would certainly not want to live without Power Slave. Life without Seventh Son of a Seventh Son is not worth living. Agreed. Uh, somewhere in time amazing dude come on uh, somewhere in time the, i think is one of their most underrated albums I, it, I mean dude can we be fair i mean it might not be their classic album with their biggest songs on it but somewhere in time stands up against any album they've ever put out track for track album for i mean it really does it stands up against any of them and it doesn't have any weak parts of it you know, you don't have to deal with stinker songs. I mean, dude, Stranger in a Strange Land, the the Loneliness and the Long Distance Runner, Sea of Madness, dude. Every track on that album is amazing. Um, and then, dude, seriously, starting with Brave New World. Uh, I mean, Brave New World, Dance of Death, de um, 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 a matter of life and death, is their post two thousand somewhere in time, where it's not their most popular album. But that is the album where Bruce went, hey, I'm better than everybody else, and I'm, I'm here to prove it. If you listen to the album, A Matter of Life and Death, it's basically, I would go as far as to say it's Bruce's best vocal performance album. Um, the Final Frontier is an amazing record. Um, it, I mean, it really, really is. The Book of Souls is a great album. And albeit I don't like Sinjutsu as much as their other albums, there are five or six songs on there that I absolutely love and I still listen to all the time. So my first gut instinct is Iron Maiden. There's other ones I'll say. So, okay, what's one for you? Well, I have some guesses, but I have some guesses of bands that you would pick. So my first is going to be Anthrax. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, and the reason why is because actually when I was 
I don't want to say first getting into because when, 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 you, when you got back into buying vinyl. Yeah, I mean like I had a record collection when we were in we both had record collections when we were in high school. Um I Anthrax was the first one I went after because you know, I look at Anthrax's discography and yes, I see weak spots. Half of Volume 8 I really love. Half of it I can't stand. Um, but We Have Come For You All has some great tracks on it. So, like, when I when I say Anthrax, and I, by the way, I own Anthrax's entire discography on vinyl, except for Live the Island Years, which they've never put out. Uh, and Attack of the Killer Bees, or because it's it's one of those albums, like you said, where you can't find it on vinyl. Like, which they is sad, because released... if I could have any Anthrax album, it'd that, be dude, that I, I, dude, I even own Pentecuffison. Like, that was never released in the United States. I ordered it from Europe. I have an original copy of Pentecuffison, but I don't have a copy of Attack of the Killer Bees because it, it you just can't find it. Um, it. I mean, like, literally, it was, like, released on, like, they released a small amount of copies, and you can't find it anywhere. You're right. I would love to own Attack of the Killer Bees for, like, starting up a posse, all that stuff. But Anthrax is probably one of them because the John Bush years have their own charm. The Joey Belladonna years are amazing, and and even when Joey came back, the albums they put out for that, like Worship Music and For All Kings, are still great albums. Like especially Worship Music. Worship Music was a true return to form for Anthrax. Like when Joey came back, I don't think anybody expected them to put out a great album like like Worship Music. Um, for All Kings, it was not was Worship Music. Was that the one music, that wasn't was, written for him, or was, was that the one written for? Was that the one that wasn't written for him, or not, or it was? Um, it was. I don't, it was. Never mind. It was. I, I don't know. Like, I, I worship music. I know that they had been through. Like, like they had. They had. Uh, um, well, they had a singer for one show. They had a singer for like a show, and then they fired him. And they they asked you know they wanted to do stuff with both John Bush and Joey Belladonna, but John Bush is like, yeah, I'm kind of not like. He's like, I'm not a fill-in guy. You know, he's like, I'm either in or out. So, and you know, because he had Armored Saint too. He's oh. going back to Armored Saint at the time. So, by the way, little side note. Um, I I have tickets to see his. Um, it's called Beyond Frontiers. I have tickets to see his Journey cover band. Oh, cool! If they're playing in a couple. I don't remember. I'd have to look. But they're playing at a theater, uh, um, and uh, I'm totally going to see Journey. Uh, it, it's it's literally a Journey. I mean, look, I've seen his cover band before. Um, uh, Chief Bigway. I've seen him a few times where Joey sings and plays drums. But I'm going to see him do Beyond Frontiers, which he doesn't play drums on. Uh, but it's a, it's a journey tribute band, and Joey, dude, he come on, he he sings. He does not sound like Steve Perry. He sounds like like he doesn't karaoke Steve Perry, and he can't hit every note that Steve Perry can. But Steve Perry can't hit every note that Steve Perry can. Um, so it's fine with me. But anyway, yeah, continue. But I just wanted to throw that out. Like, I'm totally going to see him on uh, March 24th. It's a Sunday night. Gonna totally see his. Journey man, I can't, I can't. I mean, come on, dude. I love Journey. I, I can't wait. Uh, continue. Yeah. So I mean, definitely Anthrax would be one of them. Um, <sighs> See that that was there were two other ones I thought you were going to go with, and it wasn't that one. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Anthrax was the first one that I really tried to get. Like there was another band that I won't mention because I'm sure I need to load some. But there are two other bands. One I have not successfully done because they haven't released everything, and one I have done down to almost the single level. Um, I actually have to, I'd have to research to find out if I have them all. Um, but yeah, so Anthrax is definitely one. Like again, Scott Ian's one of my favorite guitar players of all time. Um, his rhythm tone is just 
nuts. I mean, I mean, look, the only like I, I'm not a I'm not the kind of guy who's going to try and duplicate Scott Ian's rhythm tone for two reasons. First of all, I want to find my own. Second of all, every single week he gets endorsed by a new product. It's this is the secret to my tone. <laughs> like literally like he will say to you, oh, EVA champs. All I do is plug right into the amp. That's the secret to my tone. Then the next then somebody wants to endorse him and make a pedal for him. Well, see, the thing is, I use this pedal into a JCM 800, and that's the secret to my tone. Then a new pedal company comes along, and it's like, no, no, see, like, that other pedal was cool, but this pedal is the truest to, like, this is an exact replica of what I used on, 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 on you know, the first SOD album, and this is a secret to my tone. Look, I get it. The guy needs to make money. He's got a family. Whatever. I'm not criticizing him. If somebody came up to me and wanted me to endorse pedals, I'd say whatever you wanted me to say i get it but um so that's why you know but he's my favorite rhythm guitar player of all time again charlie's my favorite drummer i don't want to keep droning and droning and droning on anthrax but yeah that 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 was the first one that that was the first band that i ever said i'm gonna get everything i can and attack the killer bees has eluded me thus far and uh live the island years i don't even know if that was ever put on vinyl again early 90s man well, but I don't know if it was ever put on vinyl, That's period. What I'm saying, it was early 90s. It might not have ever been put on vinyl. Right, and I'm hoping they've one day released it. I don't understand why they haven't repressed I, it I, now. But. I got that on CD in seventh grade. I used to, God, I, I worshipped that album. Yeah, it By was the a way, great album. I looked it up. I, I was right. Um, uh, worship music was co-written by Dan Nelson, who was the vocalist they hired for a, two days. Um, he co-wrote the vast majority of that album, and recorded the vocals for it. They just scrapped his vocals and had Joey do it. Um, but so right. So what I, I, I say this for a reason. Complete. It 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 says a lot when that album is so good, when it wasn't written for Joey. Yet Joey came in and just knocked it out of the park. He did, dude. Joey Joey's great on that album. The Devil You Know, dude, that's a great song. The Devil You Know is a great song, and Joey sounds awesome on it, and it wasn't written for his voice. Um, and Joey has a very unique singing voice. It's a very unique singing voice, especially considering how heavy Anthrax is. He has a unique voice, man. Um, I agree. I, I have not listened to that album in a long time, and I should because it's uh, – really good oh by the way they do have a record that needs a warning label don't forget they did that anthems record where they cover smoking by Boston. <laughs> <laughs> smoking um but uh yeah yeah dude what a what a great what a just what a great album what a great band i mean i don't give a damn what anybody says great 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 band um okay my next up and i own their discography but my my next up is fate's warning that is a legitimate band that i love their career now their first album night on brocken is it kind of weak Uh, okay yes but dude i i while while we both like fistful of metal you cannot hold Fistful of Metal next to the career of Anthrax. That was, you know, inexpensive recording, 
new, you know, younger band. Night on Brocken is, I mean, it's a good album, but, you know, it's not, it's not them at their best. Um, but, dude, like, I, I know you like the, have you ever listened to The Spectre Within? It's the album that came before Awaken the Guardian. Yeah, I have it. Okay. Oh, do you? Okay. I hate to say that I like it more than Awaken the Guardian. Awaken the Guardian is the more polished album. It's recorded better, but I don't just mean recorded better. It is clearly more polished. This is a band who, um, Night on Brocken was them figuring out what to do, and The Spectre Within is them just being like, okay, man, yeah, this is it. Um, Awaken the Guardian is one of those, let's be fair, if you made a list of some of the greatest metal metal blade albums of all time, that's on that list. Certainly in the eighties. If you're looking at eighties metal blade records, records by metal blade records. If you were to ask Brian Slagle the best eighties albums he put out, Awaken the Guardians on that list, guaranteed. Um, but I actually I like the Spectre Within more. Songs like Orphan Gypsy, The Apparition. The Apparition is a song that stayed around for a long time because um, Ray Alder used to have to sing it, and I don't, I don't envy that. Um, the song Kyrie Eleeson. I, I just, I, I love, I love, I love that album. Um, uh, Perfect Symmetry. I mean, there's no exit, but like, dude, Perfect Symmetry is when they hired Mark Zonder. And uh, interestingly, and people don't realize this, and I've mentioned it on the show, but people don't realize this. No Exit is when John Arch left the band and they got Ray Alder. Now, Ray Alder is a much different singer than John Arch, but if you listen to Awaken the Guardian and then you listen to No Exit, other than the fact that there's a different vocalist, it's the same band. It sounds like the same band. No Exit sounds like the album they would have put out next if John Arch was there anyway. A year later, Perfect Symmetry comes out and it sounds like a completely different band. And that's not because of the vocalist. It's because of Mark Zonder. Mark Zonder's drumming is different than any drummer I've ever heard. He he just he has a groove in his head that is unlike anybody. And if you don't believe me, you just have to listen to some of his stuff. Perfect Symmetry and and uh, Jim Mateos, who's in, you know, like the main guy in the band, said that when he hired Mark Zonder, it just changed everything. Um, but I mean, going through their their uh, their discography, I know. I mean, you like the album Parallels. I don't know if you own it, but you like the album Parallels. You like the the album Inside Out because Inside Out has Monument on it. Yeah. If I mean the rest of the album sounds like Monument. I mean, if you like the song, I don't know if you've ever listened to the whole album. It, it it's irrelevant. Yeah. Like, I have I know both you, on vinyl. You, right. I was gonna. You like that album? Um, a Pleasant Shade of Gray. Man, I whip my Skippy to that record every time I hear it. It's so the fa- the Fates Warning. Just so you're aware, the Fates Warning albums I have are, um. I have Parallels, I have Inside Out, I have Awaken the Guardian, and I have, um, oh my god, I have too much whiskey, Phantom. The Spectre Within? Yeah, Spectre Within. I almost said Phantom. Why did I say Phantom? Spectre I Within. Those are the Fates Warning albums I have. Look, I'm I'm not a big Fates Warning no. fan, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, oh yeah, no, I have I, I got Spectre Within because I, I think I, I think it was on sale and I messaged yeah. you like, hey, how's this album? And you're like, yeah, it's good. And I was like, okay, I'm going like, to buy it. I mean, if you like <laughs> if you like Awaken the Guardian, you'll like the Spectre Within. It's just not as polished. It's not recorded as well. 
I think Wait, it was like I think it was literally I bought that album because it was like, well, I either pay twenty dollars for shipping or I get another album. <laughs> but I was like, dude, you'll like it. Yeah, you, no, come on. And yeah, yeah. No, and you're the Fates Warning guy. Like I, I own four Fates Warning albums. I like Awaken the Guardian. I really like that. That album I went out and found. I have an OG pressing of it. I went out and found that album. Um, Parallels, Parallels, and Inside Out. I think I, I just happened across. But then, yeah, you're right. Spectre Within, I, I totally was like, hey, dude, how's this album? And you're like, it's good. And I was like, all right, I'm going to grab it. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Um, A Pleasant Shade of Grey, is there is there one that I would... You know what? A Pleasant Shade of Grey is an album that I would use for you on... We need to do one of these again, but Rex and I were doing a thing where I would give him a record and he would give me a record and we would, you know, that we've never heard or maybe it's a band we're not familiar with or whatever... And like I, the first one we did, I gave you a Camelot record, and I said I'm aware this is stylistically not your thing, and there's things about it that you're not gonna like, like the keyboards and things. But I'm like, I had a feeling there would be aspects of that record that you would really like, and, and I wasn't wrong. There were things you didn't like. Um, you're like Roy's a little Broadway for me. There's too many keyboards, but there were tracks on it you liked, you appreciated stuff, and you've sent me stuff the same way. Um, like I, I had you listen to one to to the Deicide album with Jack Owen, and I'm like, I, clearly you know you've listened to Deicide. I know you're, they're not your thing, but this album is so full of riffs that sound exactly like Jack Owen and could have been on Cannibal Corpse album. I don't like, dislike Deicide. It's just one of those things. No, where I just like, you're not. You're not. Even I'm not as into them. Like I, I can take or leave them. I like Deicide's. I like parts of Deicide's career a lot, and the rest is like, eh, it's cool. But A Pleasant Shade of Grey is a record I would give you only because it's a concept album. It is The whole album is one song. I think it's like 55 minutes long. They broke it up into tracks because it came out in 97. It was the CD era. Look, on a record, you can pick up the needle and start the album halfway through if you want to hear a later part of the album. Fate's Warning was not going to put a 55-minute track on a CD where you're like, dude, I can't fast because fast forwarding on a CD was a pain in the padded ass, to quote Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, so they split it up with tracks. It's cool. So it's twelve or well, I think it's twelve. Let me look. Yeah, it's twelve tracks, but it's it's one song. But it's one of those it's one of those really really long songs that you can just kind of get lost in and not realize it took an hour to listen to it. Um, I mean, a present shade of gray is definitely like I said, it stands out because it is a well, it's an hour long song. You know, it's it's a it's different. Um, their album uh, uh, "Disconnected" was the album that when it came out. You know, that's when I interviewed Ray. Um, it's it's not. It, it, it in some ways it's a weaker album, but the song "One" is incredible. If you heard the song, you you would recognize it only because we I played it a lot on the radio. Because again, we did a big promotion of this album. You would at least go, "Oh, I've heard that before." Uh, plus the song "Pieces of Me's on there. FWX has another perfect day, which I have gone. I've mentioned a million times is a song that um, I am someone who has pretty severe anxiety that um, at times is really bad, and at times it's not, but at times it's really bad. And another perfect day, if you were to read the lyrics, it describes what having really bad anxiety or maybe really bad depression, but certainly really bad anxiety. You read the lyrics, like to me, it's just like wow. They get it. The album Darkness in a Different Light to me blows me away. Their album Theories of Flight has a song called The Light and Shade of Things. Again, I will go on record. Best song they ever wrote with Ray Alder is The Light and Shade of Things. I, may, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I would put it up against anything in their career. It's the best song they ever wrote. 
It is it's 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 everything you could ever ask from Fate's Warning in one song. The only thing that the only caveat is it's not Mark Zonder, but it's Bobby Jarzombek who if it if it's not going to be Ray Alder, I want it to be Bobby Jarzombek. But I mean, dude, it's that's who played on the Arch Matheos record, the the, the you know, Sympathetic re- uh, Resonance. Um yeah. now now in fairness, Long Day Good Night is their last album. I'm not as familiar with it because I haven't listened to it a billion times, but you know, so yeah, that, and I don't I didn't mean to just go album by album, but that is absolutely a band that um they don't have a virtual 11 to me. Like Iron Maiden, I have to deal with one album that I don't want to own. With Fate's Warning, uh, no. They don't they don't have um uh I don't think they have a weak album. It's very possible that someone would like the John Arch era and not the Ray Alder era or vice versa in the same way that you might like the Paul Diano era and not the Bruce era, or maybe you like the Bruce area of Bruce Dickinson era of Iron Maiden, but not the Paul Diano. I get it. They're very different. I, I like them both, but fate's warning would probably be my number two of a discography. I want and don't think I could live without. All right. All right. So what do you, what do you, what's what I mean? I mean, there's two, there's two big ones for me that I think you would have to throw out there, but so the, the one, the one that I really want right now, and that's eluding me because there's two albums they haven't released on vinyl, at least not since I've been back into it or had the opportunity to buy them that aren't picture discs. There's Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, that was that was the, that was actually who I thought you'd mention first. But yeah, no, I mean, no. What two? What two aren't on vinyl? Or um, easily attainable on vinyl. Uh, torture. Oh, okay. Torture. They only ever, as far as I'm aware, they only ever did as a picture disc, which I tend not to buy picture discs. Um, they don't there, sound as good. Plus, they're have, kind of annoying. Yeah, there's a couple of times I have due to lack of options. I, I have as well, and I, I do own a couple. But I, I would want torture in a re, in a regular uh, in a, in a, and evisceration plague is the other one. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, I love I love that album. Yeah, like torture torture evades. I gotta look at it. Torture evades me as to what's on it. Strangulation um, chair. Oh, um, okay, dude. I, I, I'm gonna throw this out. Dude, I clearly torn I better- through. I love that song. Tore through with vengeance to play. I always love the line. In hell, I will kill you again. I always love that line. Oh, dude, no, no, that's an album. Oh, really, dude? Of their last fifteen years, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, man. Between evisceration and plague and torture, are my favorites of them. Um, I, I will take those. Those are my two favorites. Yeah, everything I found for torture is a picture disc, and I really don't since, want the picture disc. Since the album um, Bloodthirst, which I'm with you is the best album with George. Maybe it's not your, what you think is, but I, it's my favorite with George anyway. Um, starting with Gore Obsessed, it's torture and evisceration, evisceration plague that I really like. I don't dislike any of them. And you don't like? Do you like the song "Scourge of Iron"? For some reason, I thought you didn't. Um, I'm kind of indifferent to it. I, I I love that song, and dude, the strangulation chair. I'm with you. Evisceration Plague has Priests of Sodom, dude. What a yeah. great way to start. So an album. so Metal Blade did put out Torture on on L, on vinyl. I just looked it up, and the only one for sale is two hundred ninety nine dollars. Not happening. Exactly. Not happening. 
Um, so, so, but you basically have their discography, right? I, those are the only two I'm missing. I, I have live so, cannibalism. Um, I have all of their other albums. Um, I've had all of their other albums for a long time. Um, so can we, we'll, we'll basically say you have their entire album. That is not, I have everything. I have everything that I've had the ability to buy. Um, you know, evisceration plague, like again, torture and evisceration plague. Yes, I could own them, but I'm not spending $300 on one record that was released like less than 10 years ago. Um, they'll eventually, they're me, eventually going to repress both. I mean, they've been going back through their discography. I think they're up to like the bleeding now. They just did actually, no, I think they're up through Gallery of Suicide. So they are. Yeah. So I, I have, I have their discography up through Bloodthirst. Yeah, I, I have, which is which is interesting because I have all the Barnes album. No, wait, I don't. Yeah, I do have all the Barnes albums. I don't own Vile, which I get it is a is a, a corpse grinder album. I am nine times. I I'm ninety percent sure. I look. I I I, I when almost you, bought Vile a number of times. Fifteen hundred records. You're like, wait, do I own that, dude? I do and it I'd all have the time. to look at my database. Yes, I'm ninety nine percent sure I own Vile. There, there are albums I know for a fact I own, and plenty I can't remember if I bought them or not. But you have to remember too. I owned them all on CD. Sometimes I oh, forget me too. which I forget which ones I bought on. Well, that's not true. I owned well, them all up through Gore Obsessed on CD. And after yeah, that, me I too. Buying CDs. Yeah, but um, I uh, um, so I have eaten back to life. I have butchered at birth. I know I have tomb the mutilated and the bleeding. I have gallery of suicide, bloodthirst, and live cannibalism. Because I mean, honestly, oh, yeah. that's the cannibal corpse I listen to for the most part. And I do have Chaos Horrific and Violence Unimagined um, because they, you know, they came out in the last few years. Um, I don't have Red Before Black, though I do like that album. I um, do have that one, yeah. I bought skeletal, that one on release day. A Skeletal Domain, I love the album, but I, I'm not going to rush out to buy it. Um, uh, but I would love to have Torture and Evisceration Plague. Kill, I hardly remember. I mean, the time is Kill is now. Is cool. Kill is a great album. I, I, you need to listen to it again. No, I know, I know, I know. You know what? My only problem with them is in the Corpse Grinder era, after Bloodthirst, dude, it all blends together in my head, man. Yeah, and you're right. And Gore Obsessed and uh, Gore Obsessed and um, uh, blah, 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 uh, Wretched Spawn. Uh, Wretched Spawn to me, those two albums are interchangeable to me. Well, but, you know what? I yeah, hate and, to and, say it, but I think of the songs. I think of songs from those albums, but nine times out of ten, can't remember which one they're on. Right. That's why I say they're interchangeable to me. To me, those two albums could have been a double album, and I wouldn't even have noticed. Well, so, I, I think of the songs that they play live. I mean, so, like, Frantic Disembowelment's a live song for them. But, dude, dude, Kill has Make Them Suffer on it. That's a great song. It is. Kill. Like, so, so is Kill, the time Kill is now. Kill was one of those albums. Yeah, Time oh, to Kill is now is one of my, Dude, cool you know who did a great freaking cover of that? If you ever want to hear a good cover of it, is um, Harlot. Harlot oh, on I their last album did, but they did it on a six string, so it sounds oh, like I a remember. thrash song. I remember that. No, dude, it's awesome. And they yeah, so it sounds like it's it's amazing. So I they did amazing. So if you ever if, anybody listening to this wants to hear a cover of Time to Kill is now, listen to Harlot's cover. It's freaking amazing. I got their last album. And I like I loved it. I you know I loved Harlot's album before that. Like in my opinion, uh, uh, when darkness meets the light is an absolute masterpiece of a song. Like 
it, I mean, I'm talking like it might actually crack my top songs of all time. So I got their follow up to it, and the time to kill is now cover just blew me away. But make them supper, or supper. You know why I say make them supper? I always picture that somebody made a meme of Corpse Grinder, and he's standing there with his family, and the caption says "Make them supper." <laughs> That's why I always call that song "Make them supper." It's but so make funny. them suffer is an amazing song um you know but the thing about kill i wanted to tell you was you're right i used to be much like you where i used to be like you well no no but i'm saying like where no, kill always had glossed over why first of all it seemed like a throwaway album why it was it was a like the cover of the album is literally the logo with kill in giant letters you're used to cannibal corpse having these extravagant yeah it kills um it. Everybody Art. said that the album the album cover killed that record. Right, ha -ha. you're used to having Campbell Corpse have these like uh, Vincent Locke covers. Who who I actually he did the uh, artwork to uh, I believe he did the artwork to A History of Violence, which was an awesome graphic novel. Um, that is nothing like the movie if you've seen the movie. Um, and and I, I'm like and, and I I was always kind of like eh. You know, I mean, look, I'm not going to not listen to an album based on the cover, especially by a band I love. But when I got Kill on vinyl, um, I think everybody everybody was disappointed. I think the band's disappointed with that. Well, but when I got Kill on vinyl, because I, I I was I was always looking up rankings of Cannibal Corpse albums, because I was always I, I always look up rankings of albums because I'm always curious what do other people think versus what I think in terms of like a great album is. Right. Kill is always ranked super high. So I listened to it again when I got it on vinyl finally. And I was like, holy crap, why don't I listen to this album more? It was another one of those albums where you listen to it and you're like, crap, why don't I listen to this more? So I, I will challenge you, and I'm not yeah. doing this as a as a like heavy metal hangover official challenge. Listen, listen to, to it, it again. Because you'll actually probably say, like, wow, like I don't remember this album being as good as it is. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, there's a couple of there's a couple of Cannibal Corpse albums I could probably say that about. Um, Red Before but, Black is an amazing album. I know. Like, you know what? I don't. When, I've I've never not liked a Cannibal Corpse album. They just blend in my well, head so often. I mean, they're formulaic, and that's not a bad thing. You're absolutely we, right, though. A skeletal, like, dude, a skeletal domain. My favorite, one of my favorite all-time Cannibal Corpse songs, um, Killer Become. Like I, I literally ordered the shirt from England, and it took like three weeks to get here. Where the the shirt is a guy holding a chainsaw, and he's cutting off somebody's head in the back, and giant letters says "Fire up the chainsaw" with a bloody chainsaw. I literally ordered that from Earache Records in England, um, to get here to England. get it in the United States. No, I mean really, like I, I internationally because that was I love that song so much, and I think it's such a cool shirt. But like you know, high impact Im or high velocity. I mean, dude, the, the song impact "High Velocity Impact Splatter" is hilarious. Uh, a skeletal domain's a great song, but otherwise, you're right. If you look at a skeletal domain, the wretched spawn, um, um, gore obsessed, like the albums start to blend together. But I will say, a stand standout albums are are definitely Red Before Black. Like the song "Red Before Black" is amazing. Corpus Delecti is amazing. Um, uh, I, I mean, like uh, "Code of the Slashers" is awesome. Like, I mean, there's so many great songs on that album. Um, but you know, when you get to "Violence Unimagined" and even their newest one, uh, "Chaos Horrific," yeah, like those two albums, like I those those blend together. So, Cannibal Corpse is one of those weird bands where 
they're you're right they're formula but they're like acdc where they stick to a formula and yeah you're gonna have your flick of the switches you're gonna have your fly in the walls but then suddenly you're gonna have your razor's edges and yeah, suddenly you know what, you're though? gonna have your your ball breakers suddenly you're gonna have your you know, then you're gonna have your like you know uh, a stiff upper lips but that you know suddenly an album's gonna come along and knock your socks off even though it sounds exactly like the three before it but there's just something about that album that wasn't there in the three before it. You could listen, yeah. But you know what though, you could listen to their discography from start to finish and like it all. Oh, absolutely. Very. No, that's the to, thing. To varying degrees. Cannibal Corpse I mean, is one of those bands where it's not that you don't like the albums. It's just kind of like, yeah. Well, some albums are look, yeah, that's Cannibal Corpse, and some albums are like, holy crap, well, this dude, is awesome. Dude, you like every Friday the Thirteenth movie, but you don't like them all to the same degree. Yeah, I mean, I like I like parts of Part Five. Yeah, well, especially I like the two boobs. parts of Part Five. But like, but it's uh, not as good as Part Six. No, no, I mean, I, I, you like everyone. You like all of them. They're, they're, none of them are like. I mean, dude, Jason takes Manhattan is a terrible movie, but I still like it. I mean, it's fun. Well, that that that's what Cannibal Corpse I think is missing is is Debbie Debbie Sue Voorhees's uh, assets. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, again, we used to talk about this all the time. The, the greatest, set. the uh, the greatest on-screen boobs in the history of cinema, not 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 Nick Menza films, like not porn, but the the greatest dude, on-screen dude. I'd put her up against any star of Nick Menza films too. Actually, I would put her, yeah, but I mean, if we're gonna go Hollywood, if we're gonna go Hollywood, Hollywood, Jamie Lee Curtis is the only one who could maybe compete. I was gonna say that. I would put her up against uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in uh, Trading Places, but anyway. And that's strictly on the boobage. Yeah, but you know why, though? Because Jamie Lee Curtis is, like, standing there with her boobs out. The, the reason, and I'm sorry, but I'm just going to say this. And I, I keep the gif on my phone. The reason, <laughs> the, reason why, the reason why the boobs in um, Friday the 13th Part 5 are so great is when she takes her shirt off, they do the rise and fall. <laughs> If you know what I'm talking, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. They go whoop, bong, and you're like, oh. Bloop. I guess it's like a bloop. <laughs> like, bloop, bloop, bloop. Like, um, <laughs> uh, um, but no, I mean my 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 dude, dude. She is, she came she came somewhere near me, and I literally almost drove two hours to get you an autograph picture. <laughs> I almost did it, but I couldn't. I couldn't. Things. I couldn't get there. Like I literally was going to drive two hours to tell her face to face, "You've just made my friend's day," and get day. send you an autograph picture. But I couldn't get there. Day, What's dude, this day crap. I, I would have loved to have asked her to sign Debbie Sue Voorhees quotes the set. <laughs> <laughs> I would have I mean, paid extra for that. There's great. There's great, and there. But hey, dude, you said yourself. She did the movie because, um, and it's not really when she takes her shirt off, but she she like she like pushes her hair back. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm telling you, <laughs> it is the world's greatest like whoop boing. And you're like, oh my god, those, that's uh, that's perfect. Um, <laughs> I'm just laughing. You totally did the Wayne's World. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I mean, what's there's 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 basically nothing better. You know, uh, and and but no, the point I'm getting at is, I mean, honestly, you 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 like every Friday the Thirteenth movie, you just don't necessarily like them all 
to the same degree. I, I mean, dude, I like every James Bond movie. I like every James Bond movie, but they're not all Goldfinger. You know, I mean, they're they're not all Goldeneye. They're it's just it's just the way it's just the way it works, man. They're not they 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 can't be all amazing. Um, I mean, I just mentioned Fate's Warning. I mean, they're I like them all, but I don't like them all necessarily as much as the other. I mean that that's that's not gonna happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, dude, uh, it's it's I mean, it's just awesome, you know. I mean, it it, it really um, it, it really just is. It just really I don't know, man. Um, so uh, I'll throw I'll throw mine out. Um, I'll whip mine out. <laughs> Excuse me while I whip this out. Um, Here's my next one that might be, I don't know, maybe it is a surprising selection. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, I'm going to go Cradle of Filth. I love their discography. They have one album... That I'm not as big of a fan of. Um, it's the Darkly Darkly... Ver uh, 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 darkly Darkly... Something. Um, I have to look. Hold on. Um, darkly Darkly Venus Aversa. I gotta look. Hold on. Uh, only album of theirs I'm really not generally a big fan of is... Dark... Nope. Not that one. Uh, I like yeah, darkly, darkly Venus Aversa. I don't remember what I said. Maybe I said it right. I don't remember. I am not the world's biggest fan of that record, though. You know, I wouldn't. I, I would not be upset about having it. You know what I mean? It's it's that it's that kind of thing. But I I think in the world of bands with a huge discography, and Cradle of Filth has a big discography. There is absolutely nothing on it I don't like. There just really isn't. I, I like I like all of it, man. And they're a band who I can get lost in their albums. I can listen to them all the time. They're um see that the whoop bong. Wait, there you go. <laughs> uh, he he's looking at the game. I'm like, see, I'm not wrong. Um, but dude, I mean, starting from their first album, starting from the principle of evil made flesh, like I love that. Album. Yeah. I mean, again, a band like Cradle of Filth is going to go back to Anthrax and a lot of the other bands. It's hard to compare their first album, lower budget, that sort of thing with the rest of their career. Um, Cruelty and the Beast. I've, dude, I loved that album for 20 years. And then when I heard the re-release, I'm like, okay it's better and by today's standards I'm going to listen to the re-release before I listen to the original but I've liked the original since it came out you know um, I dude I I listen to, I actually Cradle of Filth is a band who I just turn on their discography I do it all the time I, I really do I mean I we are we're actually not alone in thinking that Midian was like their their 
you know, that's their great album. I mean, they have a lot of great albums, but Median is really the peak of what Cradle of Filth is. Though, dude, let me, you know what? I'm going to say this. And it, people can get their panties in a bunch if they want to. Existence is futile or futile, however you want to say it. I think it's as good as it. I, I I don't know how they put out an album in in 2021. Like, dude, ne- existential terror, necromantic fantasies. That album is really good. It's really good. But, dude, you have the man. Uh, is it the Manicore? No, you have Cryptoriana. Right? Is it Cryptoriana you have? It's got a nice set of boobies on the cover. Well, that's vague. Yeah, I know that's totally vague. <laughs> um, no, I have like their last. I have their last two albums. Uh, then yeah, you have Cryptoriana and you have Existence of Futile, right? Um, uh, Darkly, Darkly, I'm not as big of a fan of, but whatever. Um, Harder, Darker, th- Faster um, is great. Like Tonight in Flames is great. Dirge Inferno is great. The Byronic Man is good. I am the Thorn. It's a little less of a chaotic album. It's a little more like the songs are a little bit simpler, but I, I really like it. Um, Godspeed on Devil's Thunder is their only album that I that I don't listen to very often. Not to say it's not great. Um, Nymphetamine, uh, that's the album that has uh, Gilded See You Next Tuesday, which I love that song. But that's also the song with Nymphetamine Fix on it, which is the song that's gotten really popular recently. Um, Damnation in a Day I like. I'm, I don't listen to it as often. But Lovecraft and Witch Hearts I love. Bittersweets to Suck You By I absolutely love. The song "All Hope and Eclipse" is, you know, one of their best. Midian's amazing. Um, Dusk and her and Bra- like I really do. They're, they're, their discography just—I mean, it blows my skirt up, start to finish, man. I, you know, would I count Cradle of Filth among my top few favorite bands? No, but that's what. See, that's what's interesting about a discography. Fate's Warning is one is is one of my top few favorite bands, but dude, there are plenty of my favorite bands that are not on this list. Kiss is not on this list. Well, the, because the, dude, the problem, I mean, the problem with honest, them is when you get into the late eighties, half of their mu- half of their albums are terrible. Half of their albums are terrible. I'm sorry, half their albums are terrible. And and, and there, there's a difference between overlooking Virtual Eleven. You know, it's like, well, dude, they have fifteen. I'm making this up. Fifteen of their sixteen albums are amazing. You can deal with one crappy one. Um. There's so much crappy Kiss, dude. So much crappy Kiss. Especially 90s Kiss. I mean, late 80s is bad. 90s Kiss is horrendous. Um, not not all of the 90s Kiss is horrendous. Okay. I realize that um, uh, uh, Revenge, it has a couple of cool songs on it. But, dude, like... Psycho Circus is garbage. What is it? Uh, Carnival of Souls is garbage. I like Alive 3, but that doesn't count. Um, Hot in the Shade has two songs on it I like. Let me see. i got to look. One, two. Um, Hot in the Shade has two songs I like, but I use that term kind of loosely too. Like, I I wouldn't put it on my list of Kiss songs I like. Rise to it and hide your heart if they're... Like, if, if someone were to play them, I wouldn't say turn this off. But they're not songs I go out of my way to listen to. Um, I uh, I mean, Crazy Nights is a good album, but even still. 
Crazy, 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 crazy nights. It, it's one or two songs. Asylum is an amazing album. There's there, there's only what, what like one one standout track. Like Tears Are Falling is a big song. <laughs> but that's a great album. <laughs> Animalize is a great album, even though what? Heaven's on Fire is like the only song off that record that people remember. I actually think Lick It Up is a crappy album. Um, I like the song, but I'm not into I'm not into that. Creatures of the Night's one of their best albums. Music from the Elder, I don't know. You can defend it all you want. It's mostly crap. Unmasked is crap. Dynasty is mostly crap. Yeah, I get it. Like 2000, May, I, there's a Sure No Something. Eh. Sure No Something is a track that I only really like it on Unplugged. I thought they did a great job with that Unplugged. Um, the solo albums, if you want to count them, I'm sorry. There's one good one. Um, yeah, there's two good ones. Yeah, Ace and maybe Paul. Paul um, sounds like a weak Kiss album. Like Jeans is, Jeans is only funny, and like, Pete, P, and Peters is just like he tried to be Rod Stewart and failed. And and the pro the other problem with their discography too, is the vast majority of their albums have songs I can't stand. Most of their albums are like part are like one song you like or maybe three quarters of it but they do they don't put out albums that are really great start to finish i mean um dynasty is a is a mild exception but that's because um dude the, the, their producer like remember he threw out the whole record <laughs> you know um bob ezrin threw the whole record out you, you, you remember that like the band came in to record that album, and Bob Ezrin took every song on that record and said, you can't record these. These are all terrible, if I'm not mistaken, except for Detroit Rock City. And he changed a lot of it. Um, so Destroyer is a great album because Bob Ezrin made sure it was a great album. But for the, And I'm not saying every track on it is great, but it's pretty damn good. It, it, it's, it's pretty – I mean, it's pretty damn good, you know. I know there's a song about Vinny when he was a kid, but otherwise, it's a pretty. I'm a I'm a dick, um, and if you, if you don't get the joke, you don't get the joke. I'm sorry, but for the most part, Kiss is hard. And and dude, I I'm still planning on getting a Kiss tattoo. I love Kiss, but they're not making my discography. You know, there's a handful of records. Uh, uh, Metallica wouldn't. Well, uh, Megadeth. I love Megadeth. No way in hell are they making my discography. They got a. They've got a handful of turd records. Total handful of turd records. Despite having some of my favorite albums of all time, they have some turd. All right, what else you got? I don't know if I asked you or me, but whatever. I'm asking you because you're drinking a lot, and I'm not. All right, let me think here. I'd have to think here for a second. I mean, there's one band, but it's just obvious, and it seems lazy to me to say. What's that? It'd be Slayer. Yeah, I was going to say Cannibal Corpse and Slayer Except were your... Except Repentless There's one. sucks. Except is a good one, but anyway, go on. Well, yeah, but Repentless sucks. Yeah. And I but, only well, own Repentless because I literally got it on sale for like 10 bucks, and I said, ah, eh, completes the set. Eh, nah. No. But not the set. You know set. what, though? Again... If it completed the set, I would have bought it for 50 bucks. But. Here's the thing. Um... I made I made a I I I forgot about Virtual Eleven for because again like I said with Kiss it's hard because I'm like dude half of this sucks if if Megadeth's 
Risk was their only like really crappy album, I would forgive it. But they have a bunch of records I don't care about. Um, Slayer, thing about Slayer is, dude, they have the rest of their discography are albums you really like. They're albums you really like. Again, I can't imagine you like them all to the same degree. Correct. But you're not going to... There's really no band you're going to like them all equally. I like yeah. the first five King's X albums equally for different reasons. But the rest of their the rest of their discography, I don't I don't like like I like those first five. I like them, you know. But like I really, Ear Candy's borderline a Beatles album. I don't listen to it that often. I, I love Tapehead, but um, so yeah, dude. I you you can you can you can make you can forgive them for Repentless if you like the rest of the albums. Yeah. So the thing about it is like you know Repentless is the big glaring thing I hate. I mean. Look, I know a lot of people try to defend Repentless because, oh, it's a Slayer album. It can't be bad. but Well, it can be. It sucks. Well, no. The, the, the problem I have is Slayer got to be one of those bands in the big four where they eventually got to be beyond reproach, meaning any Slayer is better than no Slayer because Anthrax, a lot of people didn't like him to begin with. Metallica obviously they did they did the whole like load reload into like, you know, St. Anger, blah blah blah. Megadeth kind of went all over the place for, you know, they had Risk, they had they had, you know, Super Collider and everything else. Slayer always was Slayer. Like they were they were one of the as we call them peanut butter and jelly bands. Every time you buy a Slayer album, you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get fast riffs. Solos that make no sense, and I mean that in a, I mean that in an endearing way, and you know they Tom Ray you know like so, you know, but Repentless I, was in my opinion, and I'll say it, I don't care, I don't care, I'll say it, was Carrie King saying, I bet I can write now, I'm just as good as Jeff could, and he tried to do his best Jeff Hanneman impression and fell flat on his face. I have, now see, I've actually never listened to Repentless. I have. I've never listened to it, and I've also never listened to Christ Illusion as a record. I've never listened to it. Um, I look, heard the song Jihad, but I've never listened to the record. Um, look, I mean, the bottom line is this with Slayer. It's just me like, not caring, but... They, 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 you know, Diabolus and Musica is normally referred to as their worst album, depending on your feelings on Repentless. Because that was the first album they downtuned on. They tried a bunch of new metal stuff. Like, you know, this is back when Slipknot was coming out. A lot of these new metal bands were coming out, and Slayer was trying to stay relevant. Because if there's something Carrie King wants more than anything, it's to remain relevant. Um, yeah, but can I say this? Yeah. History has not been nice to Diabolus and Musica. It was a liked album at the time. I like some tracks on it. What I'm saying is anybody who says they don't like it because it was stylistically very 1998. Dude, Bitter Peace and Stain of Mind. Dude, Stain of Mind was a big song for them. Dude, Stain of Mind is still, I think they still play it. So you always like the song Scrum. Yeah, Scrum is always, but, I know it's about football. But who cares? But, but Bitter I mean, East, dude, dude Hanneman was a massive Raiders fan. I mean, those are big both, songs. Yeah. Scrum I always liked. 
you know, a lot of the album I could take or leave. Uh, Bigger piece I liked. Huge. What's that? God hates us all was huge. Yeah, God hates us all. I mean, was it, good. it came out on September 11th, which is, you know, was not planned. No. Well, clearly. Well, let's hope. Well, clearly they didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> but I, I remember, you know, that was I believe that was actually the f- was that the first album where Lombardo was back. Um, I'm trying to remember. No, the album I think well. The album I think of with him being back is, to me, dude, World Painted Blood was when he came back. No, he was back way before that. Well, he wasn't. He was on World Painted Blood. Let me see. He was not on. He was definitely on God Hates Oh, yeah, you're right. No, no, no. No, he was on Christ Illusion. Um, Paul was on God Hates Us All. He came back on Christ Illusion. Okay, like I thought for sure he was back on on God no, it was definitely Assault. it was definitely Paul. Um, I he was think... you know maybe Lombardo was on the tour. I remember we saw it's possible. You know what? It's possible because I've never seen I've him with seen, Dave Lombardo. I've seen every iteration of Slayer that's been on an album. Right. I didn't see John Det because Whatever. he literally only did a tour. He filled in, but I saw Slayer with the original lineup. I saw Slayer with Paul Bostaff. I saw Slayer with Jeff Hanneman. I saw Slayer with with uh, Gary Holt, uh, and and any combination of those. Like I saw them at at any point in their career. I saw Hanneman with with Bostaff. I saw Hanneman with, um, I saw Hanneman with Lombardo. I saw Holt with Bostaff. I saw Holt with Lombardo. I think Holt and Lombardo were on the same time, but I don't remember. I don't remember. I have. I have never seen him with Dave Lombardo. Go figure. And I've seen Slayer at like five no, times. No, no. Actually, Gary Holt never toured with Lombardo. So I saw Holt with Bostaff. Because I saw them. I saw them at Tattoo the Earth. I saw them at OzFest 98 or 99. I saw them in Pittsburgh with you. And I saw them twice on their farewell tour. It was Paul every time. I saw them with Lombardo, I think, the I year before. I have one of before. Jeff Hanneman's guitar picks, too, but. I, I saw them with Lombardo the year before the Big Four, uh-huh. and that was, I think, Hanneman and Lombardo. And let me see here. Yeah, that would make sense because Lombardo left in 2023, 2013, right. and Hanneman was still around. And I th- I, I have to, I'd have to look at my tech. I can't remember when the Big Four was. But, yeah, so the, they, they toured with Anthrax and, and uh, Megadeth without Metallica. Right. And then the next year they toured the big four. And I think, and, and this is all hazy memory. I think that was the year I saw them with Holt and Lombardo. Cause I know for sure it was Lombardo at the big four. Well, let me, let me throw this. Out. I thought it was, I actually thought Hanneman was on that tour. Or I thought Hanneman was at the big four, but no, no, no. Hanneman was not at the Yankee stadium. Big four. Everybody wanted him to be, and everybody was expecting him to come out and at least do a song because he did it at one of the European shows, but he never showed up. I know oh. for a fact it was Gary. No, no, I'm with you. Dude, I'm with you. I'm not the Slayer guy. Here's the thing. I like the album Divine Intervention. I know the 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 band doesn't like the way it was, the way it was recorded or mixed. A lot of people don't, but I will say this about Divine Intervention. I don't know, man. I, I guess I've had the album so long, I... I can't hear the album sounding any other way. 
My issue, and I'm, dude, I'm not trying to be negative because I know you really like Slayer. My issue is, dude, it's world painted blood that I can't listen to. I th- it, to me, they walked up to Rick Rubin and said, "Could you make us sound like utter dog crap?" That album sounds like piss in a bucket. I, I, it's, dude, I couldn't tell you if the album is full of great songs or not. That could be their best album of all time. Of all time. I can't stand what that album sounds like. I remember hearing it when it came out because a buddy of mine was a huge Slayer fan. And he's like, dude, I got the new Slayer and we're listening to it. And I was like, dude, how do you listen to this? Yeah. I can forgive a band in 1985 for putting out a record that doesn't sound very good. I can't I can't forgive an album in 2009 of a band of a huge band who paid Rick Rubin. How I mean, how did that album make it? I don't I don't. I don't yeah, know. World painted blood. The, world painted blood sounded like crap. I mean, the, it sounds the, like the, crap. It, Whether or not the songs are good, I hated what it sounded like. I so like psychopathy red. I like world painted blood. I do like a lot of songs on that album. I just I couldn't get past how it sounds, and I, I hate saying that. But whether or not it was a good album, I couldn't get past the. Hate worldwide's a good song. And I'm not doubting so, that it's got a good songs on it. I just I couldn't. Yeah, it really did. I mean, I, I was in I was in the same boat when I heard it. I'm like, it sounds like it was recorded like lazily, like it sounded like all the guitars oh. were in the next room. Like the guitars were to me thick. like it was on purpose. Yeah, I, I, like to sound raw or something. Yeah, and you know that 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 could have been, but World Painted Blood I was really disappointed in, and it was and when I when I heard the songs live, I was I was felt better about them. Oh, they're probably um, great live. You heard a couple live. I think yeah. they played World Painted Blood. I think they actually actually even opened with it's World Painted Blood when we saw them. It's just a sounding album, in my opinion. If I'm remembering correctly, I think they opened with either... I think it was actually they opened with World Painted Blood when we saw them in uh, where, wherever, I don't know, Syracuse, wherever we saw them. We saw them in... Because yeah, I saw them in Pittsburgh, and then we saw them in Syracuse. Yeah. I think they opened Severely with World Painted Blood. Oh, excuse me. I think they opened with World Painted Blood. Like, I don't know. Like, I I know that I, I did the math and I checked and I've seen every album iteration of Slayer. You know, again, I didn't see John Dett. I didn't see Pat O'Brien. I didn't see Phil Demel. Like, I didn't see Hoagland. Like, when no, he filled the, in for them. The, yeah. I saw every, like, album iteration of Slayer. I saw them Seeing with, again, with, Holt, with Bostaff, for one Lombardo. Tour. Yeah, I, I saw them with Holt, Bostaff, Lombardo, and the combinations between the two. Um, you know, again, like, uh, and it, it, it was cool. Like, I'm happy to have seen Hanneman. I'm happy to have seen Holt. Um, again, when, when Gary Holt joined the band as a touring musician, I was all for it. When they decided to release another album without Hanneman, look, it's not up to me. It's not my band. So I'm not going to say they shouldn't have done it. Like, I'm not going to, like, you know, do that. But at the same time... Dude, if you look at any song that anybody ever names, like name five Slayer songs. And I'm not saying that to be like, oh, you're wearing a Slayer shirt. Name five Slayer songs. I guarantee a majority of them, if not all five, will be written or partially written by Jeff Hanneman. And I know Kerry King, he, he always in interviews, or at least whenever he talks about it, seems to have this stick up his butt. About like, you know, well, no, I am Slayer. Jeff, Jeff isn't, dude. Jeff wrote Angel of Death. Jeff wrote South of Heaven. Jeff wrote Deadskin Mask. Carrie's like, the face of the band. But yeah, I'm fine. Jeff Carrie, was the talent. Carrie's the look. 
well, carries the Jeff look. And, let's be fair. Jeff and Dave were the talent. Yeah, I, I mean, look, Carrie wrote some good songs. Carrie helped write Hello Waits. Carrie has writing credits on a lot of good songs, a lot of songs they play live. But look, he didn't write Angel of Death. He didn't write Raining Blood. Like, those are the songs people are going to name. Look, and I'm not talking about, like, diehard Slayer fans who are going to say, oh, my favorite song is Spill the Blood. Oh, my favorite song is, like, Skeletons of Society. I'm not talking about that. Actually, we had a friend who that was, like, his favorite song. Yeah, I know. But I'm saying, like, you know, I'm not talking. I'm talking no, about, we like. we give him crap about it because we're like, dude, really? That one. We gave him crap for a lot of reasons, but that one. Well, mostly because he wore like neon orange pants, but um, and got and got and got a um uh a Green Lantern tattoo that we just busted his balls. Yeah, he probably had the clap too, but probably has the clap. I didn't know that about him, but hey, I didn't either. I just made that up. When you said he got, I thought you were literally going to say he got the clap. He got the clap. He's got, she's got the jack, and who knows what else. Oh, man, that's <laughs> funny. But I mean, dude, look at look at seasons in the abyss. What Carrie King wrote: Expendable Youth, Skeletons of Society, and Temptation. Ask anybody what the great songs on that album are. Those are the three they're not mentioning. Can can we be honest? That they're those gonna are the say three War Ensemble. They're gonna say Seasons in the Abyss. They're gonna look, say War Ensemble, Dead Skin Seasons Mask. in the Abyss, Dead Skin Mask. Born of Fire, which King co-wrote. Blood Red. I mean, dude, those are the best songs. In the and again, I'm not even, I'm not even bashing Carrie King. Without Carrie King, there is no Slayer. He ran that band. It was him. It was yeah. It yeah. Was Carrie and Look, two really passive members of the band. Jeff didn't like interviews. He was shy. Dave. Jeff Dave could was the not other, have there were been the face in the of that band. Dave was the other one. That's why they fought with Dave so much. Dave drew their original logo. Yeah, because he was left-handed. That's left-handed, why it looks the way it does. It. Yeah, he he used a knife to like carve it, and he's left-handed, so that's why it looks the way it does. Uh huh. I remember that story. Yep. So yeah, and that's the thing. Well, the original reason why they fought with Lombardo was over money because he thought they were screwing him, which I think Kerry was. At least that's what came out later. Um. But look, you know, the, the 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 thing is that Slayer would not exist without Kerry King. Slayer would not exist not. without Jeff Hanneman. Same as Metallica would not exist without Lars Ulrich. People always make fun of Lars being such a crappy drummer. But the bottom line is Metallica wouldn't exist without Lars. Why? Dude, he was the businessman. He was not only the businessman, but he's how James Hetfield wrote great music. Yeah. James Hetfield flat out said, I saw him in a recent interview, he said, Lars cannot play guitar. But he can he can visualize it in his head. Like he Go used, sing he used it. Sam, he used Enter Sandman as an example. Go He's sing like, it. <laughs> right. But he used Enter Sandman as an example. He was like, you hear Lars, I mean, look, Kirk, it was Kirk's idea for that main riff. Lars heard it. And Lars said, do the first part three times and then do the tail. Then he also told James when to change the key. He's like, okay, that part, you need to change the key and go up to a higher key uh, there. And James even said, he's like, I would have never played the song that way. He's like, never would have done it that way. That was Lars's idea. Lars wanted me to do it. And that song changed their... So 
Lars Lars is hey dude he says himself in a, in an inter, in an interview I read when he was on in Modern Drummer back in the 90s he flat out said I am not a drummer that is just the instrument I play in the band his role in it, Lars's role in Metallica is not to be their drummer that's just his instrument his role in the band is the businessman and as a songwriter yes James might walk in with a riff, but Lars is who takes that riff and makes a song out of it. Always did. That's why he's that's why he's got credits on almost every damn album, uh, probably all of them. That's why Lars gets songwriting credits. Lars can't play guitar, but Lars can build Lars can write songs. Dude, yep. Lars is an obnoxiously talented guy. Just ironically, so not at what he does. <laughs> no, just not at his, not on his instrument in the band. <laughs> just ironically, but, not at his role. <laughs> well, no, that's the difference. That's not his role in the band. It's just the instrument he plays. No, I know that's the difference. It just makes Gene, Lars is an obnoxiously talented guy, just not at his job. <laughs> right. I mean, Gene Simmons's role in Kiss is not to be a good bass player. Yeah, I, that's what people. I'm not saying he's not a know, competent bass player because he is, but. That's the thing, people. Always, you can't play. I mean, we've said this before. You can't play an instrument in a band for fifty years and not be. Com- I mean, Lars is a competent drummer. He's a he's just a lazy drummer. More than anything, Lars is a lazy drummer. Yeah, I mean that's why he pulls all the double bass out of songs, and that's why he like you know whatever. But you know what? You know what? The, the, vocalists the, the, at the end of the day, at his age. Vocalists at his age, stop singing the high parts. You know what? Age, Lars is allowed to skip the double bass. You know what? At the end of the day, and and you know, I know normally this is a cop out answer. At the end of the day, he's a millionaire and I'm not. So who the hell am I to criticize him? He's worth like half a billion dollars. Yeah, you know th- that's the thing people don't he's understand. Worth more like, than Ringo. You know, a lot of you know, I always love that joke. How many guitar players does it take to screw in a light bulb? One guy to do it, and fifty guys to sit there and say how they could have done it better. I always love that joke because it applies to all musicians. Every well, musician, no, the, the every- drummer one, the drummer one's funnier. Oh, what's that? Okay, so the, the the guitar player joke is how many guys, is, how many guitar players does it take to screw in a light bulb? Ten. One to screw it in, and nine to say how much faster and better they could have done it themselves. How many drummers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Ten. One to screw it in, and nine to sit around and say how much better Neil Peart could have done it. <laughs> or John Bonham, or whatever or, drummer it is. You know, drummers are a weird breed, though. Guitar players watch other guitar players. Joey Jordison's a new one now. Yeah, whatever. Uh, um, or the Rev, or whoever they, or Mike Portnoy, whoever they want to pick. Where, dude, I remember vividly, early, early, early in our band's career, and I remember who it was. It was like the third. It was actually the second show our band ever played. It threw our other guitar player off because he was just mad. Yeah, I, he will not remember this, and I, I can even tell you the name of this band. He was mad that the other band like had a guitar player he thought was better than him, and it, it, like it pissed him off. And uh, and I remember another band being like, "That's the band that really like intimidated you." We're like, "What are you talking about, uh, dude?" He'll 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 get mad at me for saying this, but I will tell him the name of the band, and I will tell you the name of a guy in that band. And neither one of you will remember this. Um, I was probably I, drunk. I didn't care. No, it's only because I I knew somebody outside of the context of that. Anyway, um, guitar players get guitar players like like our our the one guy we used to know that we used to make fun of all the time. The guy who talks like this with his botsy ball shoulders and used to 
drive his mom's black car, wearing his black leather jacket and his black sunglasses, and listening to Bad to the Bone. And, and that's a real person, by the way. We're not making that's a real person. person up. That's how we talked. And he, oh, the girls wanted me like that guy. He would see. He would watch you be stronger than him in every way in working out. But then he'd be like, "Yeah, but my my shoulders put the rest of you to shame." You know, guitar players are like that, though. I, damn near any like. I mean, I play guitar, but I'm not a guitar. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm not a guitarist. I'm a drummer who just happens to tinker with guitars. But like, guitar players will see someone up there and school them in every way. And they will spend the entire gig trying to figure out what they can do better. Like, yeah, yeah, but I don't wear white sneak or whatever. Like, it's the dumbest crap, you know? Or, or like, yeah, but I, 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 I hold my guitar cooler, whatever. That's just the way guitar players are. Um, but dude, look, man. The other thing about Lars, dude, he made an entire generation want to play drums. Yep. Just like Gene Simmons. Just like every member of KISS. Bands in the 80s would not have existed without KISS. A lot of them wouldn't have. KISS Kiss was a band who was larger than life, but yet their music was approachable. 70s KISS, anyway. They were larger than life, but if you were a bass player, you could play it. You could figure that out. If you were a guitar player, you could figure out what Ace was doing. His solos weren't... Com- I'm not saying they're easy to play. His solos weren't complicated. It was a, you know, pentatonic scale. It's all he knew. Drums weren't hard. You know what I mean? Like, you could you could be a rock star by idolizing Kiss, and you could play their music. You could drop the, the needle on the... I mean, seriously. He did. They, they, made a, they, they made a generation of heavy metal musicians. They all liked Kiss. All of them liked Kiss. I'm not saying there aren't a few. Um, like, Lars Ulrich might not have been a Kiss fan because he was from Denmark. He was into Deep Purple, which Americans weren't so much into at the time. Because after Machine Head, they didn't really have a lot of tracks in the U.S. And he was into Motorhead. But again, American musicians who came... Bands from the... Bands in the 80s that were American musicians. Damn near all of them were Kiss fans. They all were. I mean, again, you have exceptions, but most of them weren't American. American bands were all into Kiss. American musicians after Metallica were all into Metallica. Every drummer was influenced by Lars. If in that era, between like at least Master of Puppets to the Black Album, every drummer was influenced by Lars. Every one of them. Like it or not, they were all influenced by Lars. Indeed. Maybe it wasn't their favorite drummer. Indeed. But Lars didn't have to be the only. Hey, the fact that Lars couldn't actually play the songs on the record. Remember, like, they, they, they talk about how, like, uh, Injustice for All, like, it was all taped. It was all pieced together because Lars couldn't play any of those songs all the way through. Yep. So what? So what? People didn't care. It made them want to play drums. So what? So what? I'm saying. I will, I will always defend Lars. I will never say he was technically a great drummer. I'll bust Lars's balls. But you'll really never hear me say he's a bad drummer. You really won't. 
I'll say he's not technically as good as... I'm trying to think of drummers he's technically better than. Without jokingly saying Meg White, because that's just the obvious answer. <laughs> um, who was only in the band because they were married. I love how everybody... I love how for years and years and years, Jack White just said it was his sister, but no, he was banging her. They were married or dating the whole time. They're not related. Um, but... I mean, Eddie Trunk will tell you he's a better drummer than Lars. But, you know, Eddie Trunk is a god, clearly, at least in his world. Um, yeah, but dude, Peter Chris was not technically a good drummer either. He's not. Peter Chris is not a great drummer, but dude, tell me Kiss would have sounded like Kiss with a different drummer. They wouldn't have. Kiss in the 70s would not have sounded like Kiss if someone else played drums for him. He had a unique kind of jazzy swing to the way he played. No, it wasn't technical. No, it wasn't necessarily hard to play. But dude, he had a feel to it. He had a swing to it. That And that counts for a lot. It just does. You know? Let me ask you a question. And then we're about running out of time. Well, let's put it this way. We're running out of time. We'll, we're about out of time. Would Testament make your list? Part of me thinks. Part of me sees Testament being on your list. You know, I got to be honest with you. The thing about Testament for me, some of their albums just don't interest me. Really? Okay. Like, um, their last album, Titans of Creation. Yeah. It was a Testament album. Um, Souls of Black doesn't interest me very much. Um, I love the ritual, by the way. Yeah, the ritual's good. I have the ritual. Dude, Electric Crown, come on. That's such a great song. I don't give a damn if everybody hates it. I love it. But, like, you know, they, Testament is very, very much so a Peaks and Valley band. Oh, and, oh, I, I would be surprised if they don't tell you that. Like, that's why I say, like, I, I have no interest in collecting That's Testaments. why I was curious. Like, like for me, like Testament is one of those bands. I've had many opportunities to buy a lot of their discography, and I've passed. Uh, and ironically, the ones I want the most, like um, I can see the album cover. It's the planet. It's with the disciples of the watch on it. Um, oh, New Order. New Order. Yeah, that album I want. But they haven't I repressed. Love that album. Why haven't they repressed that one yet? They've they've done the ritual. They've done Souls of Black. Like, where is that album? Disciples of the Watch is one of their signature songs. Why haven't they done that? Um, it also has Into the Pit on it. Yeah, yeah into, into the Pit's good. Like, you know, yeah. But but again, their first we, two albums are pretty amazing, dude. Dark Roots Earth is an amazing album. Like, practice what you preach is okay, but kind yeah, of yeah. But it, that's what Souls it's of Black okay. is kind of kind of weak. Yeah. I like the Ritual. Low is okay. I see. I have Low. I have the Gathering. And I have demonic. Those albums are like awesome to me. Like that—that's you know when when Chuck Billy started doing his death metal growls, I feel like that's when Testament. And, and also, I feel like I'm obligated to own the song Trail of Tears. Um, Formation of Damnation is good, but I yeah, you know, the, the the, I have that one too. The Formation of Damnation. It. It's got a couple really good songs. Like the the title track on that album is insane. 
Um, More Than Meets the Eye is awesome. That's the one I remember, yeah. Yeah, but like the rest of the album is just kind of like, yeah, it's Testament. You're like, then that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with yeah, it's Testament. But you know, when you're ta- so when you're talking about collecting a discography, to me, it's songs you can't live without. You know, and albums you can't live without. So, or, or at least, like I said, damn near all of them. Right, right. You know, like you know, if there's a weak spot here or there, for me, Testament is, eh. Well, Testament doesn't have a bad album, but they have a handful that I could care less if I ever owned. And and that's the thing, and that's exactly it. Like Corpse, even their weak albums, like they have a couple songs on them that I'm like, yeah, I, I can't go without that. Like. You know, even if you want to say like Wretched Spawn or, or Gore Obsessed, I love Sanded Faceless. You know what though? I love Hatchet to the Head. You know what I mean? When, like when it, when a band has more than ten albums, if there's one or two that you're not all that excited about, you're like, yeah, but dude, they're 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 if a band is like ninety percent or better, you know, it's well, different like, if the if the band has four albums and one sucks, you're like, yeah. If you want to um, look at it like, you know, as partial discographies, like BOC, I own every BOC album up till, I think, Fire of Unknown Origin. Once you go past Fire of Unknown Origin, it starts to suck. Black Label Society, I have every album up to, like, Mafia. I'd, I'd also buy Shot to Hell. I'd also buy uh, Concrete Jungle. But, like, after that, I'm kind of, like, hit or miss with them because... And it has nothing to do with the fact that I don't like Black Label Society. It's just kind of like where you get into that, like, and I've talked about BLS before, where I was a massive, and I still am to a point, a massive BLS fan. I loved everything they had going on. But, the, you know, Zach started releasing so many albums. It was just kind of like, you know, I got kind of sick of them. You know, like, part of the charm of a band when they go away for a little while is you kind of begin to anticipate and want that next album but when a band is releasing albums every six months you're just kind of like yeah it's more of the same plus and that was exactly it it felt like a continuation of the previous album so you're just kind of like okay well it's more of the same and there's nothing that stands out you know i don't mind now that you know back in the day bands used to release albums every year you know i don't mind that bands take a few years between albums because it only makes you look forward to it more. Yeah, I agree. Um, Dude, I have the Ted Nugent discography up through <laughs> Including the, the one where you stay... What's, what's the one where you're standing there in like a leather suit? Like in oh, just, dude, that one's so awesome. Uh, it's just record <laughs> Nugent. Um, I have them all up through if you can't lick them, lick them. But, dude, actually, I would love to have Spirit of the Wild because... I'll be completely honest about Ted Nugent. Pretty much after State of Shock, they're for the most part not good albums. Um, I mean, Intensity Intensities is fun. It's a live album. But, like, I don't really like any of their albums for the most part after Weekend Warriors. Except for, I actually do really like the album Spirit of the Wild. It came out in 95. I don't think it's ever been on vinyl. Um but I like that because it has Fred Bear and Kiss My Ass on it and Spirit of the Wild. Like, there's actually some songs on it I really like. But, dude, I own all of the Ted Nugent discography on vinyl up through pretty much when they stopped making them on vinyl. And I don't even like most of them. So I could do without most of them. But I also found most of them for like a dollar because 
No one cares about his Penetrated album. I know. Someone's going to be like, I love Penetrator. It's like, yeah. And you're the same guy who's going to tell me that Zipper Catches Skin is the best Alice Cooper album. Um, but, I mean, if you can't lick him, lick him. It's just because, you know, the album's got a cool name. Now, there is great guitar playing on all of them. Every Ted Nugent album has great guitar playing. Of course it does. But they, they're, 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 I'll put it this way. It is not that original lineup. You know what I mean? It is not the Double Live Gonzo Ted Nugent. Pretty much Ted Nugent up through Double Live Gonzo and the album Weekend Warriors, which came out like the same year, but I think after it recorded it. Those are amazing. Pretty much after that, it's like he just never captured he never captured what he was able to do. Um, but Spirit of the Wild has a couple of really cool songs on it. Um, like when we saw him, I, I know he played Kiss My Ass, and I'm pretty darn sure he played Fred Bear when we saw him too. Um, and we saw him twice. I've, and I recently saw him again. But um, I, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I could live without most of it. So I'm like, I'm not going to put Ted Nugent on my list because I could live out without, with, I could live without most of it. Um, uh, but like, like, dude, I will put, I don't, I, I, I want to wrap this up. If you know me at all, you know that Sabotage is on my list. Um, Sabotage has one album that I'm not a fan of, but it's the one album that most people aren't a fan. Of. It's called fight for the rock. It sucks. Um, but they'll tell you themselves. It sucks. Um, their early records when they're more of a straightforward metal band, they're not Broadway metal. I don't listen to as much, but I really like them. Since 1987, when they put out Hall of the Mountain King, I love every one of those albums. I love them start to finish. I love them. So they have one album I don't like, and while admittedly their first three I'm not as big of a fan of, I like them. Um, in fact, I'm proud to own all of them. You know, so. all re-released. But when they started re-releasing the Sabotage records, I'm like, yep. I mean, starting with Gutter Ballet... Hall of the you know Hall of the Mountain King, Gutter Ballet, Streets, Edge of Thorns, Handful of Rain, Dead Winter Dead, dude. I've I've you know if you could wear out a CD just from listening to it, <laughs> I wore those out, man. Uh, Wake of Magellan's cool. Poets and Mad Men is amazing, um, but you know I mean Dead Winter Dead is the album that they have a song called Christmas Eve on it, and when Trans Siberian Orchestra put out. Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, that one, they didn't even re-record it. It's the same song. It's the same song from Dead, Winter, Dead. Except if you listen to it on Dead, Winter, Dead, you understand why it's called Christmas Eve in Sarajevo, and the song makes a lot of sense because it's part of the story that is a concept record, and it's actually a beautiful part of that album. And I, I don't just mean the song. But it's a really big, it's an emotional record. It's a great album. And that song is like the, you know, the little, the Christmas miracle part of the album. It's, it's great. Um, but it became a hit. And then they, you know, released it with Jersey Rain Orchestra. But, dude, Dead Winter Dead is mind-blowing. Um, Handful of Rain has the title track, Handful of Rain, and Taunting Cobras. And um, it's just, it's just, it's so, it's so good, man. Um, it's it's hard for me, you know, to even express how much I love those albums. I'm trying to think. So this one is, you know, I, 
it, it's funny because there's a lot of bands where I like to collect um, partial discographies. Sure. Where where I either like a, like Iced Earth, for example, I have all the Barlow albums. Block. Yeah. I have all the Barlow albums. Before Barlow, after Barlow, I don't really care. Um, you know, again, I mentioned Blue Oyster Cult. I have all of their albums up till Fire on the Origin. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. Like, for instance, uh, Cattle Decapitation. I actually just ordered their first four albums. I'm missing one album to have their discography. Um, I, I, you know, I was never too familiar. And again, sometimes you grow into bands. We talked about Cattle Decapitation a lot on this show where one of our listeners recommended us Death Atlas. You and I kind of were like, uh, all right, fine, we'll listen to it. We weren't too into it because we we had heard Cattle Decapitation before and it wasn't our thing. Um, it's still not my thing, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and what and, I mean and, is it's stylistically not my thing. Yeah, and it's not, it's not. I, I listened to the earlier albums and I, I, I bought them on vinyl because I almost got like a cryptopsy feel for them or from them. Not that they sound anything like cryptopsy, but they reminded me of those early cryptopsy albums. And, you know, you grow into some of this older stuff. Like, for instance, you know, the first time we heard Cattle Decapitation, we're like, ooh, this isn't our thing. You know, and we're very careful to say we never said it sucked. No, I we're, we're my very thing. careful to always say with a lot of music, this is not our thing. I mean, you want to throw a, a, a lady, you know, you want to throw like a, a pop song at me, I'll tell you it sucks. You want to throw me, an, you want to throw an Ariana Grande song at you, I'll tell you it sucks. You want to throw something where the guy's playing guitar or, or yeah, the, but that's that's garbage manufactured music, right? You want to tell me, you, you want to throw me something with a, with a guy or girls playing guitar, bass, drums, etc. I'll probably tell you, not my thing. It's good enough. You're like whatever, if it's your thing, good for you. At least you're listening to something that that. The person didn't see the lyrics as soon as they walked into the studio for the first time. But, I mean, like, there's other bands where I will honestly say I'm not as familiar with this discography, but I've never been disappointed by an album. Like, Body Counts one. Dude, Ice-T is the coolest dude in the world. Period. Oh, I agree. I, I will say that definitively. The guy started off... Other than Jimmy Smith, I agree with you. Well, Jimmy Smith is cool for a different reason. Like, Jimmy Smith is a dude I'd like to buy a beer for because he's just that cool. Ice-T's a dude I like to hang out with. Like, if I ever saw him filming Law & Order, I'd be like, dude, I will buy you lunch if I can hear, like, 10 minutes of stories from you. Um, Because the dude is just seems like the coolest dude in the world. Um, There's Matt Santos on the West Wing. I loved him in the West Wing, too. I mean, like, literally, like, 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 Ice-T is, like, like, body... How many people can honestly say... They were legendary in the world of hip hop and successfully crossed over to the rock and metal world and are just as respected. Like, you may not like Body Count, it's not your thing, that's fine. But the last couple albums by them have been utterly awesome. You know, you go back and you listen to other albums by them, and it's just so awesome. Dude, their cover of Institutionalized by Suicidal Tendencies, I'm obsessed with that song. I'm oh, obsessed with that song because. They changed all the lyrics. They didn't cover any of the lyrics whatsoever, but the lyrics are so much more relevant and so funny. Like, I just want to play my Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> like, the funniest part is like when he's singing, he's talking, he's singing, he's like, you know, my, so I just want to play my Xbox. My wife comes, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. My wife comes in and says, I saw an Oprah that, you know, 
guys who play video games don't love their wives. I don't give an F about Oprah. Oprah ain't got no man. <laughs> like, I just, like, so it's, it's, you know, the, the best the best line in the entire like, cover they did, though, was this guy comes up and he goes, you know that ham sandwich is going to kill you. The only way this ham sandwich is going to kill me is if they figure out a way to shoot it out of an effing gun. <laughs> Like, it's just awesome. Like, dude, Ice-T, and I've, you know, I follow him on Instagram and stuff like that. He seems like the coolest dude in the world. You know, normally I don't get it. I I would honestly, and I've actually commented and he's liked my post before where I'm like, I have never heard a single one of his hip hop albums, but I love Body Count. And that's enough for me. Well, and, and I think he's a generally liked guy, too. I don't remember ever hearing stories of him being a douche or anything well, like that. I, mean, I just saw wrong, I just saw an interview with a guy from and he, I don't know who he is. A guy from Wu Tang Clan, where he's like the first time Wu Tang Clan Ooh, met Ice T. Tang. Yeah, the first time they ever met him, Ice T thought they were gonna kick his ass because like back then you know it was the hip hop world and everything else like that. I, I don't know anything about the hip hop world. I'm not trying to sound like I'm street smart or anything like that, but. In actuality, they were fans of his, but he, like, Ice-T tells a story like, dude, yeah, I walk in the room and there's all these guys standing there from Wu-Tang Clan, and he goes, I thought they were going to kick my ass because of where I was from or whatever. But, you know, like, I, again, they, they loved him, and, you know, he's he, he was respected and everything like that. So, you're right. Gen- I mean, if for nothing else, your grandma knows who Ice-T is. Why? Who's Ice-T? Finn Tutuola from SVU. Oh, him. Okay. <laughs> like, Which, hey, man, it was a groundbreaking role, and he's incredible in it. And, you know, it was hard to it, – it, It's there are people that are hard to not like. He's actually a decent actor, too. No, he's – yeah, I would, I would go as far as to say he's a good actor. Yeah. He's – but he's a good actor because he's genuine and he's believable, which that's what acting is. At the end of the day, what is acting – it's making people believe you are the character you're playing. That's actually what acting is. It's not, you know, the 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 dramatic performance. It's the believable is really what makes you a real actor. What makes you and dude, yeah, okay. He was playing an extension of himself, maybe, right? But so what? You, you're gonna tell me he wasn't believable, and he was believable in that role the first episode he was on. It's. Like watching The Sopranos. You're going to tell me that Polly Walnuts wasn't believable? <laughs> you know? No, no, he's not a Shakespearean actor. But it's believable, man. It's believable. Yeah, James Gandolfini was probably the better actor, the more seasoned actor on The Sopranos. But any of those guys that played mobsters and you believed, well, and again, you know, some of them really were, but who cares? It's all about being believable. Um, all right. Anyway, there's a couple other bands I want to talk about. A couple other ones that will, will uh, this this topic will resurface. I, there, I just want to say one thing. Yeah. Goat Hua. Goat Hua. Yeah, we got to mention Goat Hua. We, we're um, only going to be pronouncing that name Goat Hua like this for the rest of the show in perpetuity, like forever. From now on, they are no longer Goat Whore. They're Goat Hua. Hey. I just wanted to a, mention that. Hey. She was a Hua. Anyway, okay, so Goat this record whore. is pushing. It's pushing three hours. Holy moly! It's not pushing ass. If it was, I mean, <laughs> if it if it was, Duff would have his wallet out. 
Yeah, I would. <laughs> well, I do. Um, he told me before he started the show, hey, are you ready to start the show? Yeah, just let me go get my wallet. And you're like, why? Do you need to rub her? I was like, well, for after the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was just an odd thing. Wait, let me go get my wallet. And I'm like, well, I, what? I thought I, I thought I might go shopping. Um, I thought I, I, I got one of my cards. I got a new one. I got uh, one of my cards. I, I got a new one, and it's like, oh, I don't know what the security code on the back is for uh, whoas or whoas. Uh, but anyway, all right. So let's stop it here, mainly because we we could do this forever. And there's that's a good because I, I got a I got a pee. Yeah, I got to tinkle pretty bad myself. Uh, I don't want to tinkle myself. I have to tinkle, and yeah. I don't have a bladder buster on. No, I got I got to take a squirt. You know, like uh, like in 1989's Batman. You know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out our Instagram or Facebook. Uh, anyway, so uh, fun discussion. It, it, it went from nowhere to anywhere and ended up somewhere. That's kind of how our show works, folks. We talk about something and it builds into something else. And oftentimes that becomes the topic. Uh, so lots of fun. Anyway, we always say it. Look, we're not paid to do the show. We have no sponsorships. We run no ads. We don't have a Patreon. We're not trying to make money off the show. And it's entirely because we feel, A, uh, she was a hua. No, uh, we feel, A, because uh, we think it's our, our listeners like it better uh, because they know everything that we say is, is from us and they don't have to listen to commercials. And also, we don't make money off the show because it's meant for us to be have fun. We have jobs and this show is not a job. It's just fun for us and hopefully fun for you. Uh, don't forget also uh, Facebook, Instagram. The Heavy Metal Hangover. Uh, we're not on X. Uh, X rated, yes, but we're not on X or anywhere else. But Facebook and Instagram, get a hold of us at The Heavy Metal Hangover. And if we don't get back to you quickly, it's because we don't sit on those sites very long. I, I really don't. Um, but I have been awful with social media lately. Yeah. I I haven't. I've been try, actually trying to unplug a little more. So yeah, um, Which just, if- just realize we're not ignoring you. It's just we don't go on there very often. Yeah. Um, so we just don't see it. Anyway, so anyway, we want to thank you uh, a lot for listening. It's been fun tonight. I love these ones where we can get a little goofy at times, and uh, you know we can always remember to say yes to bone movies. But otherwise, I do love it when we have some really cool conversations. And I think today's was. So anyway, well, thank you very much for listening. My name is Duff. My name is Rex. We'll see you again next week on another episode of the Heavy Metal Hangover. Congratulations for actually making it all the way through this episode of the Heavy Metal Hangover with your beer-guzzling, head-banging hosts, Rex and Dunn.